This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. It's Friday. We made it. Another week. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. Not just the headlines, but today we'll be giving you um, a lot of different tools. Holy cow, uh, jobs. We'll be talking jobs. Do you think, for example, robots will eventually take over your career, your job? I'm going with yes. Sorry, you're going to lose your job. It's sad, but uh, according to our uh, our guest uh, in this first hour, Ray Williams will be joining us, and he's going to talk about how you know what what is a job today will probably not be a job in the future. So you need to plan. Right, the economy will shift. The economy is going to shift. Artificial intelligence is going to take over. Robots will run the world. And there you have it. It'll be great. <laughs> and then they'll take over, and uh, I guess if you want a preview, there's all the Terminator movies. Yeah, and that's just that's just bad. That, that's just a downer. I mean, for if you're this early in the morning, but you know that, that that is a downer. But it's it doesn't have to be. Could, it, there's a there. I mean, sometimes that means that you'll have a you won't have a job where you just go and sit in some room and. Punch buttons. Maybe you'll have a career where you enjoy what you're doing. Somebody has to fix the robots. Somebody has to. But eventually, yeah. the robots will do that. So I'm not sure. And and not to not to even add you know any more pain to your life. But the job market uh, unemployment falls 4.9 percent, lowest yeah. in eight years, according to the new jobs report. So couldn't have been better timing. Here come the robots. Here come the robots. We'll be talking about that in a few minutes. Uh, speaking of robots. Um, there's a there's an election going on. Yes. Last night was battle royale in the Democratic Party. That was as much excitement as I've seen out of those two well, it candidates. Was, it was the first time there wasn't a uh, innocent bystander in uh, Martin O'Malley standing in the middle of the Martin two O'Malley for missed a great debate. <laughs> it was really uh, that was it was heated, heated. It was, and Hillary's just. Taken off the gloves, it looks like. She's- you can see there's frustration yeah. with things that are being said. But again, we're dealing with two people who agree on most of the issues. Yeah. But there's a few that they're they're they, they they're trying to draw some differences out, but for the most part it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. And that was a part of what uh Hillary Clinton was trying to point out and and Bernie Sanders is trying to say no, we're different, and she's like, This is all semantics. This well, is, is she, all is she a moderate? Or is she a progressive? Because she said she was a moderate, and he's like, you can't be both, Hillary. And then she listed all the non-progressive things that he's supported over the years, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's like, so if we want to just you know, point, point a finger, we can do this. Lots of little jabs. And then the big point came out about the fact that she collects and accepted all this speaking money from – uh, Wall Street. No, she didn't handle that well. No, that was interesting. Because they wanted the, what, Chuck Todd, the moderator, wanted the transcripts. Yeah. Because all these things have been recorded, so let's get the transcripts. Would you be okay? And yeah. she's like, well, we'll have to look into that. Yeah, I'll, I'll check. Let me check. Isn't a great answer. No. 
Well, but, I mean, well yeah, because everything's been transcribed, so why wouldn't you? And then it, we were talking about this yesterday. It comes down to the money that she received from these companies to give these speeches. And her, her thought is they – that was. This is the price that was offered. They this, accepted. So what, well, hold, hold, this is what the evil people from Wall Street offered me. Yeah. So I would take it. Now, as a speaker, I'd I'd saw off my right leg to get her fees. Oh, absolutely. But here's the deal. I think Bernie's mad about. How do you go into the White House poor, in debt, no money, and fifteen twenty years later be worth a hundred million? I think that's what he's worried about. In the end is the idea that you could go be a politician and then get into this world where all of a sudden you're Wall Street insiders and the next thing you know you're worth $100 million. Or you can go get you know, $700,000 worth of speaking fees. I don't think he cares that she makes money. Yeah. But don't pretend like you're fighting for the little guy when you're make you're worth a hundred. She million. says in her defense, she didn't know if she was going to run for president while she was doing that. Right. Which no one believes. Nobody believes this. The, well, people, because she's probably yeah. No. If you watch uh, what is it, the Saturday Night Live skits they, when they put her in, she always talks about how when I was a little girl and I was thinking of dreaming of being president. You know, it's that, that kind of ambition that she tries right. to put out there. We were talking about her being a president when she left the White House. Yes, that's why she went to be a senator, supposedly. Right. Yeah, so she can build her credentials. Right. Yeah, and she made a great point too that said, "Hey, I was the senator from New York, Wall Street. They're my." constituents so of course i'm going to but then but then i also fight against them and wall street's not afraid of any person more than me so all this kind of came to a head play clip one there i think it's time to end the very artful smear that you and your campaign have been carrying out in recent weeks and let's talk let's talk about (laughs) the issues so i think was this is this the official first time that any of the candidates have said smear Possibly. This is huge. Because that's Of all a, people to say it. That's a loaded word. Bernie. Uh, was it Bernie? It was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was great. That was, that was seriously heated. And that was pretty direct. I mean, they're, they're finally taking off the gloves. But Hillary has to because she's like 30 points behind. Yes. Or 25 or whatever the latest polling is. The artful smear is working. I was gonna at bring, least in New Hampshire. I was going to bring the numbers in, but um, – there's quite a gulf between whoever's leading in New Hampshire and whoever's in second place. Yeah. The real news is that Marco Rubio is now in second place. Is now in second place. However, Jeb, exclamation point, is making a serious, you know, push. Yes. He, he brought in Babs. There's a commercial airing with his brother. Uh-huh. Barbara came and, and spoke. And then uh, he defended his honor. Well, I saw an interview on CBS where he was sitting down with his mom, and uh, she kind of had to walk back some comments about how she never wants another Bush to run, uh, yeah. you know, be in the White House. Right. But then she's like, "But then I looked at at the current situation, and America needs Jeb." I'm like, mm, do they? <laughs> Does Jeb think America needs Jeb? Because sometimes you're not sure. Sometimes he looks a little confused. Yeah, but you know, it's. Someone was trying to make this argument. It's a four-way race for the establishment vote. Christie, Kasich, Jeb, exclamation point, and Rubio. No, he lost the exclamation point. We talked about Oh, this. he did. That's right. Just Jeb. He lost the uh Because I was tired of saying, that. Jeb! 
You lost yeah. your copyright. It's still there. It's not official. It's like the Washington Redskins logo. Yeah. It's not official. It's not official. There's no copyright on it. <laughs> it's the. You know what's funny about this? We're still talking about politics even though there's a Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. Why? Because the Super Bowl so far has been kind of kind of boring. No one's done anything. There hasn't been. No, we need more like scandals. Activities. Yeah. yeah. I saw a report this morning about Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. He might retire. Now this came out earlier in the week. Well, so now there's all these stories who, about. The, well, wow, that was a report. Some you know unnamed sources, all that kind yeah. of stuff. So uh, then there's these reports on what he would be likely looking forward to in retirement. Oh, really? Hip replacement surgery, <laughs> maybe some knee replacements. Yeah. Crazy arthritis. Joe Montana was in an interview yeah. talking about how Hall of Fame career. I can't walk now. He's he's got to go. He's got to go get his Bermuda shorts. When get, you there's a commercial airing, like I think it's a pizza delivery commercial, and uh, you have Peyton Manning standing there, J.J. Watt from the Houston Texans, uh-huh. and then Joe Montana walks up, and he's in cargo pants, and his pant pockets are just full of quarters, <laughs> and I think the cargo pants. That's legit. That's, that's Joe Montana now. Yeah, that's hot. That's totally because his knees probably were just swelling. He says he can't extend his leg fully. Are you serious? He's had multiple surgeries. He can't extend his leg. His hands, he says, just uh, ache at night. Okay. It's like I won Super Bowls. I can't move. So yesterday, I announced my. Um, I announced that I was. I was going to uh, declare yourself. Declare myself. My eligibility for the NBA draft. This is big news. Uh, you're probably, I think you're one of the first ones to officially declare. Yeah, I probably was. Yeah. But what I want to do now is officially declare, undeclare. So you're retiring from. I'm officially, will you make a note of this? I officially withdraw my um, my bid. Your intention? My intention to. Declare? Declare. There, there were a lot of people counting on you, Matt. Ah. I know. But when, but when Terry just told me about the knees and Oof. the. Hands and the arthritis. I've already got that, so oh, I don't want to. Go I, I already paid for T-shirts with your credit card, though. Just, just so you know. Oh, hmm. can you return them? Well, they say Matt first round at NBA draft. Okay, probably know. not. Well, okay. Look and see if anyone else possibly is going to. Yeah, see if there's any candidates the with the name Matt. That would work. Matt Townsend. There's got to be somebody. Uh, yeah, there might be. Maybe we can talk somebody into it. Somebody who's never going to get drafted. It's a big name. Yeah. So I, on, on Sunday for the uh, coin flip, watch Joe Montana walk out there looking like he's on stilts, but those are his knees. Man. And he'll flip a coin. That's sad. Yeah. That's really sad for but, him. But you, you know, age, age, and getting hit by 300 pound men <laughs> for. You know, 15 years or whatever. Yeah. It could be worse, huh? It could be worse. But, you know, and being a hero and making millions and getting to sleep in for the rest of your life. Not have to get up really, really, really early to do a show. Anyway, let's get to the headlines. Terry, anything going on around the rest of the world we need to worry about? There is. Bernie Sanders' campaign laying the groundwork for what could be a challenge to the Iowa Democratic Caucus results, a step that could lead to a decisive and drawn-out, a divisive and drawn-out dispute with Hillary Clinton. The campaign has committed roughly 10 core staff members and volunteers based in Sanders' Des Moines, Iowa headquarters and in locations across Iowa to call calling campaign precinct captains from each of the state's 1,681 precincts to make sure the results match up with the official recorded numbers. Mm. 
The painstaking precinct-by-precinct canvas, which is a long shot to change the top-line result, is an outgrowth of the Sanders campaign repeated questions about the reporting process for the caucus results. In Thursday's Democratic debate, NBC's Chuck Todd noted that the Des Moines Register called for an audit of Monday's Democratic caucuses. In Iowa, Sanders backed the audit but said it's not the biggest deal in the world. The coin tosses were chaotic, a chaotic part of the process, he added, but this is not a winner-take-all thing, and no matter how it's counted, it will break fairly even. That story will continue. Wow, that's like they're it's but so it's both, turning into something. Both sides are very concerned with the yeah. results. Wow, I bet in Iowa, the flap about Hillary Clinton's private email server she used as Secretary of State seems to be dragging her down in the polls. Chuck Todd said in Thursday's Democratic debate in New Hampshire, she is worried or is she worried about the lingering controversy and whether it could blow up her candidacy? Clinton compared the scandal to the GOP attacks against her over Benghazi, noting that former Secretary of State Colin Powell and aides to former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice also reportedly received emails with information retroactively classified as secret. Politically, she says, I have absolutely no concerns about it whatsoever. And she uh, is looking for the FBI to continue their investigation so she'll be cleared. In this well, retroactively, sure. That I mean, maybe you can't help that. But proactively, that's different, right? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, an alleged gunman is dead after two New York City police uh, officers were shot Thursday night while patrolling in a public housing complex in the Bronx. Both officers were listed in stable condition and were reportedly alert. Police representatives say around 8 p.m., two officers entering a housing project uh, confronted a pair of men that were drinking beer in a stairwell, asked for ID. According to the police, one stood up, retrieved his wallet. The other uh, then turned on the stairs and opened fire. That suspect was identified by friends as Malik Chavez, 23. The bullets hit the female cop on the torso, grazed the male officer. Police say the assailant then shot and killed himself after telling friends that he goes, I just shot a policewoman. I am not going mm. to jail. Wow. So that has happened. But the looks like the police were uh, will make a recovery. If you took Amazon's total profit since the company went public and added it all up. Yeah. It would it wouldn't even come close to being enough to ca- uh, cash to afford to purchase one of everything that Amazon sells on its website today. So total profit, yeah. they couldn't buy one item of each thing they sell on the website. Wow! Uh, it was a question poised on the on the website Quora. It was how much would it cost to buy one of everything on Amazon? A guy went ahead and crunched all the numbers, and his figure came out that is approximately four hundred eighty eight million products on Amazon dot com, and it would take you about thirteen billion dollars. To buy one of everything, so Amazon has not netted thirteen billion dollars or no. gross thirteen billion dollars in. Wow, really? They, they haven't made a profit. Yeah, for the vast majority of their existence. Well, so you know what they ought to do is go build three hundred plus stores, and open a brick and mortar shop. Yeah, makes total that sense, seems right? Like <laughs> the opposite direction. Anyway, what do I know? What do I know? We're going to find out about jobs, folks. Ray Williams is going to be joining us. He uh, wrote a wonderful article in Psychology Today called The End of Work, The Rise and Fall of the Job. He's going to be talking about the fact that uh, maybe the future work market isn't going to be what you think it is. It's uh, with artificial intelligence coming in and robots doing a, a good share of the future work and the simple fact that it's about intelligence. It's about information. We live in the information age. What is your job going to look like in the future? What will education look like? 
We're going to be talking about it. Stick with us, folks. Talking job and uh, future of your job right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we got a great uh, topic coming up right now. You know, and it actually, the timing couldn't have been better. Today, the um, unemployment uh, numbers came out for January. Apparently, unemployment falls to 4.9%. It's the lowest in eight years. Um, It's below 5%, the first time since 2008. And so you think, hey... Good. Fewer people are unemployed, except here's the deal. Um, The future, you know, we live in the information age, right? And uh, we know that we have more and more artificial intelligence being used in products and services. We also know that uh, more robots are being used in manufacturing. So what does the future of of the job market look like? You know, is the economy going to continue to be able to produce jobs for people? Our guest today, Ray Williams, um, is is uh, suggesting that you know what we we might be looking at the end of work. In an article he wrote in PsychologyToday.com uh, by the same title, "The End of Work: The Rise and Fall of the Job," um, Ray talks about what uh, some of the scientists are saying about the future of jobs. And we've we've asked him to join us today to kind of walk us through some of his thinking and find out. If there's anything we we should be doing, paying attention to, maybe some things our children might want to be focused on when it comes to the future of employment. Ray Williams, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. Now, now you are the president of Ray Williams Associates, which is a firm based in Vancouver, where you you go and work with executives, you coach them and and teach them, um, I guess, about about people and about work. What is where, where are you getting the idea that the future of work is in jeopardy? Well, uh, a couple sources, uh, and it's really come, coming from a number of areas. Uh, one of them is the, the universities and research institutions uh, are starting to produce a lot of research that shows us that um, typical jobs that were done by humans are slowly disappearing. And I'm going to use an example. Uh, the University of Manchester Automation Lab now has a robot that does their uh, does their research for them about fighting dis- to to invent disease fighting drugs. Mm. It's just come up with one that identifies <clears throat> a, a component that they're going to use to combat malaria. There was no human that was involved in doing that. This was a robot, an artificial intelligence program, wow. that conducted this. Um, we're developing machines that can actually repair other machines. They have a machine that can build an entire brick wall for a house or a dividing wall that requires no humans whatsoever. So what we're seeing is a revolution in the application of robotics, nanotechnology, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, biotechnology that's occurring 
at a, a dizzying a pace that most people are just not aware of. Holy cow. I mean, and, and, and I guess everyone would say, well, yeah, but Ray, somebody has to run that machine. Well, sure, but if one person runs the machine and it displaces 10, then you're losing nine jobs. Exactly, and and the numbers may even be worse than that because oh. eventually we're we're going to be able to get a machine that can tend the other machines. <laughs> yeah. So the ser- the service you can now have a service robot that services the other robots, mm. um, and and we're you know we're just beginning to see the the beginnings of that that most people are probably aware of. So you know replacement of checkout people in, in stores by the yeah the last night I bought my I, I had to check myself out. And it's yeah. it's a it's an interesting and you, but again I always thought of it as well yeah but that would be in warehouses and manufacturing you know kind no. of more blue collar jobs but you're now saying no I mean the white collar jobs are in just as much jeopardy. In matter of fact, more so uh, in many ways, and, and it, it's kind of insidious and we wouldn't think of that. So a good example would be there are going to be a large numbers of jobs in medicine and health professions that will be replaced by artificial intelligence. And you, you love, the, I'm sure, Star Trek, the old Star Trek thing. Yeah, yeah. James Kirk. And and the doctor had this little handheld device that he go, and it would buzz as mm-hmm. he kind of scanned it over somebody. They're, they're in the process of developing an MRI scanner that you can hold in your hand. Man. So... <laughs> So we're seeing advances. Same thing in law. We, you talked about algorithms. Eventually, they're going to be able to commit so much information to algorithms for patterns where you can then apply it to a, a particular profession. So areas of medicine and law and finance, including the you know, stock market, are will be replaced by artificial intelligence processes and require fewer and fewer humans. Well, this is depressing, Ray. It is. <laughs> it's almost like someday they just there there will be no more need for humans. Well, the, the thing is, it's going to raise a you know number of uh, interesting issues, which I tried to identify in my uh, in my article. One of them is we're going to move to increasingly a temporary and contingent workforce, where more and more people won't have an actual permanent job, but will be uh, what and it's called the gig economy, G-I-G, mm-hmm. where you have, a, you have a gig and you finish that job and you go on to another gig. And you market yourself. <clears throat> you market yourself out there to get uh, a series of gigs, and that becomes your employment. Um, so that, that economy is growing hugely. Uh, and, you know, a good example would be the people who are involved in, in Uber yeah, and, and businesses like that. So those kind of businesses are proliferating. Well, and, and I see, I see it too online with like YouTube and video. That, I mean, yeah. you're only as good as your last video release, and you're only as good as, uh, you know, your ability to go do the next. It's almost like a musician. You know, they they're only living gig by gig, and not not the technology gig. Um, right. And, but it's and, it's interesting. So that gig economy is going to start to spread into all kinds of jobs. Hmm. And, and more and more people um, who are the owners of companies and the corporations are going to say, why do we actually need to have full-time employees? 
which will then create another problem. The people in the gig economy, you don't have a guaranteed pension. You don't have guaranteed, you know, uh, medical coverage. So that's going to create those issues that have to somehow be resolved too. Yeah. And another, uh, another thing, in fact, let's actually take a break and come back and talk about it, Ray, but you also brought up education. So how do you educate people to prepare themselves for the gig economy? Right. Interesting. Let's take a break. More with Ray Williams uh, on his Psychology Today article about the end of work, the rise and fall of the job. Folks, the future is a changing, and um, you might want to at least be preparing yourself for more of this gig economy. In a way, too, it might be a great, you know, for the baby boomers that are going to retire, maybe they can retire in the gig economy Working, you know, here, working there a little. Um, Interesting stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You better work hard for that money. You might be losing your job soon. Uh, Interesting guest. We're speaking with Ray Williams. He is the president of Ray Williams Associate, which is a firm based in Vancouver, and it provides executive coaching, and uh, he's an author. He's written many uh, books. He also um, has a, a blog called Wired for Success, um, um, and on psychology today and wrote a really interesting article that we've been discussing about jobs and the workforce and the future workforce. And folks, it looks like a lot of our jobs could very easily just be not el- yeah, eliminated, basically. You know, technology is going to replace them. Will your brick wall that you – that grandpa and great-grandpa and great-great-grandpa – those walls they've been building for years, now they're going to be build, built by a robot, 0482. He'll take care of it. So what are you going to do? Well, let's ask Ray Williams. What does the future look like? And, and these changes in this advancing technology in so many different fields, so many different ways with artificial intelligence, with robotics, we got we got to get a plan, folks. So, Ray, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us. Hey, it's my pleasure to talk about this. What do you think? What is the future then? Um, I mean, if the jobs are going to be basically automated, many of them, um, what's going to happen? I guess what's going to happen with people is at some point the people are going to have to keep innovating and creating new, new things, new jobs, new techniques, new robotics, new AI. Right. Um, and, you know, I've talked to some – scientific experts uh, about this you know they're also called futurists too and and it raises kind of three basic questions here to, to kind of uh, you know respond to what you're asking here number one is will there ever be enough jobs for everybody in the future so we, even though we see unemployment reducing uh, you know many of the new jobs that are being created are, are lower level jobs they're not they're right. not advanced. Uh, complex jobs that guarantee you, uh, you know, lifetime employment, which is basically disappearing anyway. So uh, one thing is they're predicting is that there will never be enough jobs 
for everybody. And and uh, because of the robotic revolution, the uh, you know, artificial intelligence revolution, so what will people do? Um, so it raises this issue of uh, education. You know, what are we educating for if if you you can't educate for jobs that actually don't exist? Right. How how many how many computer programmers do you need when eventually you're going to have a computer program that creates other computer programs? Right. Exactly. Um, I mean, that, that's that that's what we're doing, right? Every one of these new inventions is can eventually create or maintain itself. Right. And, and so the the number of people you, you're going to need in that complex scientific uh, area is not going to is not going to be huge. So you're looking at basically the service economy um, and personal kinds of work, the kind of interpersonal contact that, mm-hmm. you know, I may have with you that may perhaps can't be done by a machine, that that would be a future possible job in, in the health industry and in the personal services industry, that kind of stuff. And and I think too we may see a a, a kind of rejuvenation of of what it used to be like in the past, where creative jobs uh, that revolve around art and entertainment and music, et cetera, may be one of the growth areas hmm. because there again that can't be done by machines. Yeah, right. Um, but you know what kind of numbers are going to be? How are you going to finance that? Will it be paid as well? Those are all kind of iffy questions. So the whole issue of education becomes a real difficult one. Um, you know, if you're educating for the future uh, and you don't know what those jobs are in the future uh, and how many of them are going to be, it becomes difficult for, for what post-secondary education looks like. Oh, wow. And you can already see that education is suffering in a way at trying to even just just to educate the current kind of state of just just the information age, let alone what happens when we're in the robotic revolution. I mean, this is right. it's tough. Yeah, I, I think so. And even even now, and I think this is you know maybe we, we're we're getting a bit off track. There's there's there are a lot of politicians and and uh, so-called experts saying you know what we should be doing is changing a university education that's strictly utilitarian. In other words, only for a, a specific job and skill. Right, um, but what if that which one job and skill is going to disappear? No, exactly. <clears throat> well, I mean, you think about how many degrees. You, I mean, you can go get a degree in accounting, and it seems like accounting is something that you can fairly easily automate. I mean, I don't know if you fairly easily can, but if you can automate certain medical procedures, and if you can automate with algorithms law, then you know certain fields that every university is you know pushing out their back door. Those are not going to exist. So I guess who leads this, Ray? I mean, this is where I guess you need true visionaries. You need leaders that can start to identify maybe the principles that people need to be able to live. Maybe what we need to train people on is flexibility and adaptability. Yeah, you've hit the target there. And and it goes back to almost saying, you know, the purpose of education is to produce uh, really um, educated citizens. And those educated citizens – have the flexibility and adaptability to to perform well in any number of jobs. Yes, skills are important. Basic knowledge and you know math and science and and cognitive thinking and uh, problem solving those are all necessary. But it can't be all of that. And you know, quite frankly, to carry the kind of work I do, where executives run into trouble 
in organizations is not because of their technical skill. It's because of their interpersonal problems. Right. No, I, I totally see that. Relationship issues. Right. Uh, and, and yet we spend very little time on that educating people about that. How, 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 uh, how do you – you, I mean because I guess that's the key, huh? In the future, there will still be people and there will always be people. And it seems like hopefully it's, it's short of a Terminator experience that the people will be in charge. So it's really about people skills and and under I guess and then and then other you know resiliency skills, right? Resiliency skills, uh, uh, collaboration skills, um, uh, the the skills of building communities, uh, the skills of you know dealing with uh, um, uh, nature problems associated with the, you know climate issues that we're still mm-hmm. dealing with now. Creativity, are, yeah, yeah. A lot of those are social issues. They're not just technical ones, right? So. It's, Education is a big one. The last thing I was going to mention that um, is coming up by the experts, and, and that is if we assume that there's not going to be a lot of jobs for people, and a lot of people won't have work because of this uh, revolution in artificial intelligence, um, the, the, one of the proposals that's been floated is to provide a living wage for everybody. So, for example, in, in Finland, there. That's a proposal that's now uh, being considered seriously. Hmm. Essentially, you provide an income for every citizen in the country to ensure that nobody is in poverty. Um, and then some people will work and a lot of people won't. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that would be a big one, wouldn't it? Yeah, that – can you see that one? That, <laughs> can, you, can you imagine the talk radio around that one, Ray? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, but it's being seriously considered in a couple of countries now. No, I can, and you can totally see how that would happen. And then, but then, what happens? I just almost think of it emotionally, psychologically. What happens to a human that can't find work, or you know, what happens to a human whose natural abilities are maybe much more inclined to um, to to the antisocial, non-creative job or experiences. I mean, you could end up ostracizing people that, and and they would lose their identity. They'd lose this sense of, you know, this joie de vivre. Yes, exactly. And, and uh, so that's one of the issues we have to, we'd have to wrestle with. The other one is, of course, the, you know, the really critical uh, perspective that people would have. So yeah, you can give money to people so they can sit around and smoke dope and, and not, uh, not do anything for the rest of their life. Um, uh, so you know that issue comes up as well. Mm. So um, you know what would we do with large numbers of people who can't work, and yet we have an obligation to kind of sustain their well-being yeah. in some form. Otherwise, what will happen to them? Right. Well, I mean, I guess too. Um, it, whatever it is, it seems like it's going to end up. They're going to end up having to go back and help people. So maybe it's helping kids in school. Maybe it's. Volunteering in communities. What I mean, it, it just seems like the, the future. It's it, it's not it's not um, it's so unknown. You're you're a leadership expert, and what, what do we do? Uh, you wrote the book Leadership Edge. What do we do with our leaders today? How could we? What should we be telling our kids? What should we be doing as organizational leaders to be able to look forward and and at least try to prepare for something we don't even fully understand 
Right. Uh, great question. And, you know, where I've had dialogue with uh, the leaders I've worked with, uh, the issue comes up with, uh, well, what's what's my prime obligation? And so much of the prime obligation of leaders, of, particularly in the private sector organization, has been my prime obligation is to provide profit to shareholders of the company. Yeah. Uh, and and that's so that's where my prime obligation is. However, given the fact that we're facing things like, you know, permanent unemployment um, and the impact of automation, uh, as well as, you know, stagnant economies and, and everything goes along with that, uh, you begin to see, that, you know what, there are other obligations of the leader, and that is um, how can I provide some value to sustain and support my community? What, what can this company do to make the world a better place? Hmm. I mean, that's, that's – yeah, that's good. Um, and so I think that kind of dialogue with leaders is really important so that they don't see that they just have one single obligation, but they have actually multiple obligations. It makes you, it makes you think, um, boy, there, there might be more value in something like Facebook or LinkedIn – or some of these kind of social networking sites than maybe we thought um, in the future of a job, and it's already it already exists this way. I mean, the easiest way to get a job today would be through people you know, somebody that knows of the job and and can get you hooked up. But man, in the future, that sounds like it might be even more important to be able to deliver the goods, but also know the people. Yes, exactly. So the the whole issue of social networks. And, and their 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 power to connect people, and we're beginning to see this even in politics now, mm-hmm. where where something is tweeted and it goes like wildfire through millions of people almost instantly, and that forms a public opinion, and that then people take action based upon that opinion. So that didn't exist 20 years ago. No, no. I mean, yeah. Nowadays, you can raise money. And you can almost probably raise money instantly simply because you can connect your network so fast on an issue. Yeah. Right, exactly. And drive it. There's one other thing too, Matt, I wanted to mention yeah, please. sort of you know, where we're heading here and, and that is this whole issue of uh who owns the robots. <laughs> yeah. So so the, the you know, a company produces a robot that you buy to you know, for example, clean the house or um do something in the company. Uh, but particularly if you buy it as an individual, a person, do you own the robot now or does the company own it? Hmm. In other words, what happens if that robot's responsible for some kind of damage that occurs to someone's property or to another person? Yeah, wait till you have a lawsuit because of a robot accidentally burning down your house. (laughs) Right. So are you liable or is the company liable? So, So the whole issue of who owns the assets and there, there's no doubt that um, in the long term, whoever owns the assets of, of um, uh, all this automation, whether it's artificial intelligence or programs or robots, et cetera, they're the people who are going to have the power. Mm. So we're talking about power and of, the, of the whole automation revolution. Who's going to own all that and what will they do with it? Wow. Man, these are great okay. questions, uh, Ray. And as just as we kind of wrap it up, what what do you suggest the average Joe, non-futurist, you know, just the average yeah. worker with four kids or whatever, 
What should they be thinking? What should they be teaching their children to prepare for this future? Yeah, that's a good question. I've actually talked to my own kids about that too. And uh, a couple of things. One of them is uh, is about education. Is to to um, to stop thinking about education as preparation for a job. Yeah. But see it in a much broader context. Um, uh, secondly, is that within that education, um, really don't avoid or um, think that. It's not necessary or important to develop that whole area of what I call social and emotional intelligence because that's going to make you incredibly marketable out there. Yeah. Um, regardless of what your technical skills are. Um, and, and then thirdly is to, is to start developing, um, you know, your networking skills. Get to be part of communities. Um, get to be connected so that, uh, you can find out what's going on in your local community, what's happening in your state, what's happening countrywide. Um, so you're in the know about what's occurring and, and where it's necessary, where you have some interest is, is to plug in and get involved. Um, and, and I think that those kinds of skills and that kind of knowledge is going to be really, really valuable in the future. I do too. And I, I mean, and, and at least get you in the right circles with the right relationships to to be able to handle what's coming down the road. Ray, we appreciate mm-hmm. you and that your great work. Again, everybody, you can find Ray at um, – if you just go to Psychology Today, you can look up his blog, Wired for Success. You can also go look for some of his books that he's written out there, just Ray Williams. Um, if you type it in, you'll find him on Amazon. But Eye of the Storm is a great one, How Mindful Leaders Can Transform Chaotic Workplaces. The Leadership Edge is another one, and Breaking Bad Habits. Um, he's a prolific writer and has uh, got some great insight into the future and leadership. We'll take a break, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Interesting stuff. Holy cow. Is your job going to just be outsourced? I mean, will there be a day where the radio talk show host will just be outsourced? I mean, it already is in the DJ world, right? They just put in all the songs and a computer will play the song for you. I think that's going to be the first job that's outsourced. Well, I actually think board operators will be the first job that's outsourced. No, there, there's a certain talent in art that goes behind board operating. No, see, no. See, the difference with this, the talk show host is that we have to know how to work with people. You, for example, Benny, you don't have to work with people. You don't have to communicate. Yeah, it's, it's hard. We, we wish you would. Don't get me wrong. We actually wish you would talk. But, by the way, that was interesting. Yesterday, I... I left the confines of my office where I like to just hibernate and came out where the people are and you were out there with – you were out there and all of the producers were talking to you. You were like involved in a, in a conversation. I know. It was like a real conversation. It was – It was like the first time I think in a year that I've seen you do that. Yeah. What's wrong? I – Are you okay? Isn't this supposed to be good? No, I think it's fantastic. Oh, okay. But it's like I'm just wondering, are you sick? Um 
Was there? Did you need it's, a ride? It's a terminal. <laughs> so but were you, were you looking for a ride from somebody? Is that why you were talking to him? Well, Normally you don't talk to the girls. Well, I, I was looking for a ride, but they all said no. So I thought I'd just yeah. keep talking to let them. Me just, let me just tell you. If you ever need a ride, Terry's here. Oh, okay. Terry will take you wherever you I, need to go. I don't know. He Sometimes he has like a really stone cold look on his face. Yeah, that's Terry. Yeah. That's just how Terry rolls. Well, will he... You know what we ought to get you? Uh, you've heard about those um, self-driving cars. Yeah. Did you hear now they're self-driving strollers? Have one. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't share that. Um, Smart B is marketed as the first intelligent stroller in the world. It uses motion tracking sensors to follow you wherever you go, allowing for hands-free strolling. Isn't that great? So you just put your baby in the stroller and then you just walk and then the stroller follows you. That would be great. Sounds dangerous. <laughs> You're a baby. Um, like all great ideas nowadays, the Smart Bee is currently in its crowdfunding phase on the Indiegogo website. However, if all goes correctly, the stroller will be easily uh, will easily be the most decked out baby carrier ever created. In addition to an electric motor that will assist in movement, the stroller will also feature wireless speakers so your baby can rock out a bottle warmer, are you kidding, a rocker, and three retractable canopies. Plus, the, the you can have a temperature-controlled bassinet. It'll only cost about $3,200. So once again, the rich and their babies get to stay warm while the rest of us are freezing. <sighs> the future doesn't look so good for the poor people. Or just us average folks. Anyway, uh, you can expect shipment April 2017. <sighs> ben, I'm worried about your future. You can easily outsource ice cream. No, you can't. No, you can. No. Not the way I make it. That's true. Um, I could just send my kids to the store and say, son, go get some ice cream. Well, well, that's buying ice cream. That's not making ice cream. Right. But how many outsourced ice cream makers – I mean how many ice cream makers are we going to need in the future if one robot can make every kind of ice cream? Yeah, but it's it's an art form, man. Like, I know. What would happen though is the robot would come buy your ice cream. I would like to buy some ice cream and it would buy your ice cream. It would then take your recipe and then the robot makes your recipe. Boom. You're out of business. Anyway, I'm just trying to help you. Make sure you focus on it. Get the right product. Don't sell to robots. Don't. Got it. <laughs> Mental note. Don't sell to robots. Okay, we're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We uh, can't do the show without you, so stick with us. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Holy cow. It's Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. <gasps> You're right. I am so happy. Okay. 
I got seven and a half hours of sleep last night. Apparently. You're really rested. (laughs) What happened? I just went to bed. Okay. And I turned off my phone. That's that's important. My wife now, every once in a while, will actually ask to have my phone because I go to bed a little earlier than everybody else. Like six? Like ten. But um, I'm... But she's like, leave your phone out here. And I'm like... You hit the early bird dinner at Denny's and then in uh, bed by six? Is that how it works? It's pretty much... Well, then I take my vitamins. Oh, okay. I soak my feet. And then I go in for my bedtime ritual. Okay. And then I usually get on my phone and stay awake for till midnight. Right. That's kind of what I do. But it's work. I'm working. I'm not just lollygagging. I'm reading articles and putting them in the box for our producers. Great. So really, I'm working till midnight. I'm just looking at Instagram. So, I mean, (laughs) what are you going to do? Are you really? (laughs) Yeah. I don't like that stuff. You don't like Instagram? I mean, I get it. It's nice, but it bores me. Okay. It takes like five minutes. You just kind of flip. All right, you're done. My, not me. I've got like 5,000 things to look at. I think it's because I don't look at it every day. Probably. You need to be more focused on your phone. No, I don't. Ignore everything we've ever heard on this show about <laughs> what you should do with your phone. Right. No. Don't ignore what we teach on this show because what we teach will save your life, your marriage, your job, or your career, or whatever. Today we're going to save your divorce. Well. Actually, we're going to let you get divorced. We're going to just save your there, kids. There comes a point where maybe a divorce is the best option. I know. I've I've been a mediator, and there's some people that honestly should divorce. Yet, they then go mess up their kids because of how the, the way they divorce. So today we're going to be talking with Vicki Stark uh, about divorce talk. What are you supposed to say to your kids when you're divorcing, do you know how many times I've said, look, parents, when you tell your kids, try to do it together. I call it a united front. Have a united front. Do you know how many times they don't? Be- and the dad or the mom will just, look, your dad's leaving because he's a jerk. <laughs> and you're like, no. The kid's like, what? What's- no. Mommy, I like daddy. So today we're going to learn about how to have the divorce talk with your kids from Vicki Stark. She's the author of the book, The Divorce Talk, How to Tell the Kids. So stick with us. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but boy, the in, in politics, it's heating up. Uh, New Hampshire seems to have like awakened some of the GOP members. Bush seems to be walking. He's starting to climb a little bit yeah. in the poll numbers. Isn't he like up to 10% in New Hampshire? I'm not sure if he's in the double digits yet. Okay, so 9%. But he might be at 9. Yeah. Uh, but Ricky or Ricky Rubio. Ricky. Uh, Mark, Marky, Marky Marco, Rubio. Marco Rubio has made a, a jump. Yeah. In the latest uh, polling they put out, he is just past uh, Cruz, but I think it's within the margin of error, so... So, so whatever. Who, New Hampshire is more liberal, though, right? So, yes. so these kind of establishment folks are kind of more of the moderate GOP. Trump wing. is about twenty plus points ahead now, of but, the oh, pack. But, but is he? But the polling could be right. could be off. Bernie Sanders has a sizable lead on Hillary Clinton, so they're both kind of. It's almost to the point where they're kind of just. There's sixty four percent of Republican voters I heard this morning who say they will not change their vote. Yeah. Right. So if you look at the polling the way it is, 
and 64% say they're not changing, then you have this small group of people that you have to go out and try to convince to actually change their vote. Okay, so answer this, smarty pants. Why is Trump – so Cruz says Trump's throwing Trumper tantrums. Yes. Why is Trump beating up Cruz when Trump should really worry about Rubio, Kasich, uh, the other guys? Hasn't he been an equal opportunity insulter? I don't think lately. In the last two or three days, it's all been Cruz is nasty. Well, that's the – that's what's been out there because he's been accusing Cruz of uh, shenanigans in Iowa. Right. And, you know, the worst thing you could do in politics is shenanigans. <laughs> so true. Shenanigans. Are you up to shenanigans? So, uh, But I, I think he has been – I mean, I think yesterday – I there was a clip I was going to pull, but he swears almost all the way through it. Oh, really? Yeah. Who, which one? Trump. Trump. I, I oh, fr- yeah, no. I, I'm not going to – I didn't. I, I'm not going to swear. And then he swears. Yeah, I'm not going to call him a little this. And he went ahead and did it. Um, so I think he's going after everyone. But he's been focusing on Cruz the last couple of days. Rubio will get his. Yeah. If he still, if he continues to have success, he'll get his. But then Rubio's getting attacked from the guys below him because they 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 feel that he is the the goal at the moment is to get to three or maybe two, depending on how well, this, it works. This is what's interesting, though. Um, the NBC Wall Street Journal only has uh, Trump ahead by 13. Okay. So his his lead has dropped even more in that poll. I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. But you know who's really – he's not – yeah, Bush is up to nine. Christie's four. Kasich, 10. Cruz, 15. Rubio, 17. Hmm. But Bush is bringing in the Bushes. Yes. He's bringing in Mama, Mama Bush and Brother Bush. And Brother Bush. And – which is probably saying – you know, these guys. I need. I need help, mom. Yes, mom. And and part of I, this was this has been shared around a while, last couple of days, because it's it's sad. But there was a rumor, yeah, in New Hampshire, and I think maybe Iowa that the Bush campaign sent out a flyer saying twenty five dollars to everyone who comes to this campaign event for George Bush. So somehow he's trying to stack the audience. Here's some money. You know, like, be, be lively. Be lively. And yeah, he was speaking. No way. That's that's the rumor. Now, people are saying this could be photoshopped, could be done. But but then this situation happened. Clip three, if you could, Ben. I think the next president needs to be a lot quieter, but send a signal that we're prepared to act in the national security interests of this country to get back in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap. That was so awkward. Because so, the clip went longer than that. He he went off for like about a minute. Yeah. Right? And it was it was really beautiful. Yeah. And then he ended. No, that's, <laughs> Nobody... that's not edited. That's no. I, I I shortened his speech beforehand, yeah. but you, you, he's supposed to they, – they call them applause lines. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to build the audience up and you're dis- – and it's obvious this is where you clap. Yeah. But some politicians have a problem with it. You kind of see it in uh, the State of the Union mm-hmm. when uh, the last one, Obama, was speaking and people were clapping and he wasn't quite done. So he'd kind of try to talk over the clapping and right. it's awkward and people right. don't know what to do. And in this situation, oh. if he paid the people to be there, they didn't coach them as to when to clap or have someone up there off camera trying to lead the applause, the if scene. you will. You know, But yeah. if it's a spontaneous oh, audience, know, that's the deal. then he's not communicating enough energy so, so that, they understand when to clap. Oh, so you're kind of thinking that might be an audience that, that's been hired and doesn't know their job yet. If this rumor that, he, yeah. that they paid people. 
then they, they didn't coach them. But I, if they were his actual supporters, then they're not understanding his energy. Yeah. I would bet more it's just his energy. It just Some people just know how to motivate you, and they know how to rally you and get you psyched up. Right. But, Yeah. It's also like when – yeah, it's weird. You'd think that by this point you, could, you can figure out how to get a crowd going Trump's, a little bit. Or, you know? I mean uh, Bush has just struggled. It's too bad. He's a great guy I think as a human. But it's like Carson. They're just not motivators. I mean maybe they are. I, I don't know. But it's kind of like – you know, it's just a really great, super neat uncle. That you just think is neat. You, you kind of need someone who's going to yeah. motivate you and be able to yeah. – you need to work a crowd. Yeah. You, and that's, again, something Trump's great at, but there's not – it doesn't seem to have the depth. Like, no. Bush has more depth and an experience and foreign policy and other stuff that might – that would be better, but he doesn't have Trump's, I guess, charisma. Something like – or the what ability yeah. to – to, 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 I guess, share your vision and do it in such a way that there's yeah. a flourish and people can obviously know this is where we clap. It, Isn't I, it's it interesting? Hard. But they've all got something. Like Rubio's way smooth. He's just smooth. Right. Cruz is – he's smooth. He's very eloquent. In a but Texas te- preacher sort of yeah, way. Yeah, but also sometimes you feel like you're – he's like a used car salesman. Like yeah. You're selling me. Right. Oh, man. Don't you wish you could just chop pieces? Of, this sounds horrible. Hmm. Go ahead. Just ch- chop them up into pieces, and then just make the perfect candidate. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if you could get there. Well, it's, I guess you can't. I mean, it, it'd look weird to be Frankenstein's, you know, yeah. candidate. I guess. Yeah. Someone's arm and an ear over here, and, and like two little like electrodes popping out his neck. Right. Be and, kind of odd. That's with that big five head thing. But That'd it'd be, be a weird. great candidate, by the way. Oh, fantastic. Foreign policy expert. Um, anyway, that's that's pretty interesting. Let's get to the headlines. Anything else going on around the world we need to worry about? There is, thanks, Matt, a massive crane collapsed in lower Manhattan this morning, killing at least one person and injuring t- at least two others. This according to the New York City Fire Department. The crane stretching roughly as long as a city block tumbled down around 8.24 a.m., Near uh, in a uh, Tribeca neighborhood, two patients, two people were being evacuated at the location, but their conditions were not immediately known. Um, let's see here: more than 100 firefighters and emergency personnel, more than 30 fire trucks and other emergency equipment responded to the scene as the FDNY sounded a third alarm after the collapse. So, quite a response from emergency services, wow. and and it's just laying down this long stretch of Tribeca, New York City. Uh. It's so kind of crazy in Manhattan. Just so walk into work one day. And this massive crane falls on you. Uh, Thursday night's debate, Senator Bernie Sanders touted the fact that unlike Hillary Clinton, he doesn't have a super PAC, especially one that has taken millions of dollars from Wall Street. When it was her turn, Clinton said that Sanders has been making these attacks by insinuation against her for a while and that if he has something to say about her, he should just come out and say it. There is no evidence that any of Clinton's votes have been swayed by any speaking fees or campaign donations that she has received, so says she. I think it's time to end the very artful smear that you and your campaign oh, have been carrying Lord. out in recent weeks. And let's talk, let's talk about the issues. Uh, when it was Sanders' time to respond, he declined to attack Clinton directly, instead pointing out that money influences political outcomes in Washington. Period. So there's some question, did he chicken out at that point? Come on, Bernie, go back at her. <laughs> Fight it out. I, uh, by the way, I love a good artful schmear. Artful schmear is a, a nice way to... 
I don't to think, put yeah. that. Uh, Carly Fiorina was lobbying to get into the next debate for the Republicans, which is Saturday night. She was saying that, you know, I've... Let her uh, in. Heaven's sakes. After pushing to be in the the Republican debate Saturday night, Carly Fiorina did not make the final cut. Ugh. So she will not be in. And uh, so Kasich, Bush, Rubio, Trump, Cruz, Carson, and Christie. But no, Fiorina. Is she the only one left out? Yeah. Holy well, there's oh there's there's uh, like one other guy. Well, Santorum's gotten that Gibson guy. There you, is that I, his name? I'm Gibbons? not even sure. He's so so you know needed Grover, in this. Jim, Jimmer. Yeah, Grover Cleveland has been left out <laughs> of the debate. Uh, a federal grand jury indicted 16 people for their involvement in the occupation of the uh, Oregon National Wildlife Refuge, according to an indictment filed on Wednesday in an Oregon district court. The remaining four anti-government activists, as well as their leader, Ammon Bundy, and the 11 protesters who were previously arrested were charged with conspiracy to impede officers of the United States and were said to have prevented federal officials from performing their official duties by force, threats, and intimidation. The 16 protesters could face up to six years in prison for the month-long armed standoff. So it was so, a grand jury that did that, right? Yes. So the indictments. So it didn't. It you, wasn't the FBI. It wasn't no. any. It was the grand jury decided in Oregon. That's good. And there's four guys still hanging out. Are they still? They're still there. <laughs> I'm going to go check their YouTube channel. Yeah, again. just to make sure. It's NFL okay. Commissioner Roger Goodell announced that the league will institute a Rooney Rule. For, Rooney Rule for women. What is that? Mandating that at least one woman be interviewed for every executive position opening in the league office. It's uh, believed to be the first time that any major professional sports league anywhere has issued, issued such a mandate. We have something called the Rooney Rule, which requires us to make sure that when we have an opening on the team or at the league level, that we are going to interview a diverse slate of candidates. They weren't interviewing any minority candidates for coaching jobs or in the league offices. Yeah. Um, and so they made it so that you, there's, you have to interview someone of a minority. No, is that only in the executive offices or is that on the coaching staff? Is well, that... as they're saying, league offices. Okay, yeah. Now, a lot, there's, you, you have co- women that are entering the coaching ranks yeah, now on, on a couple of teams. Of and uh, so he's looking at that as, you know, we need to make sure that we have a diverse slate of candidates, a it's diverse great. slate of people. If you have people from different walks of life, different understandings, you come up with better ideas. And what they, uh, found, so they want to make that happen. Are they also going to be interviewing those that might have head traumas from concussions from playing the sport? No comment. Okay. If you ask that, they would say no comment. I'm just checking. After 15 years, U.S. Airlines are restoring some small perks for passengers cramming into coach. Monday, uh, American Airlines became the first carrier to add something back. It announced that the returns of free snacks in the economy section and more free entertainment options on some aircraft. This month, American will start offering the Biscoff cookies or pretzels Ooh, to passengers flying between New York and San Francisco or Los Angeles. By April, those snacks will expand to all other domestic routes. Oh, in May, good. American will bring back full meal service for coach passengers between Dallas and Hawaii. How do you want your hot dog? <laughs> They took it away after uh, 9-11. Yeah. That hit the indus- the airline industries hard. There's been a lot of consolidation, and now they're expanding back out. Well, and part of that is because now you're sitting on top of each other. Well, as it says to pacify flyers. <laughs> they're trying to shut you up. Here, have some pretzels. Be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Great, but can you get his leg off of my leg? <laughs> oh, that's fun. That's great news. If you like to travel, folks, now you're going to get a free three-ounce Bag of pretzels. <sighs> Starving. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Vicki Stark will be joining us. She is the author of the book The Divorce Talk, How to Tell the Kids 
She's going to give us the the ins and outs on uh, talking to your children about divorce. It's a big deal, folks. If you're a grandparent or a parent uh, who's dealing with divorce, pay attention. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, hopefully love a little stronger. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's say that you've worked on your marriage, you've given it your all, but it just is not going to mend. You and your partner decide it has come time to divorce. Among the many legal headaches and chats with your lawyers about to come your way, perhaps the most important talk is going to be when you sit down with your kids. How do you tell your kids that their parents are getting divorced? Our guest today, Vicki Stark, is the author of the book, The Divorce Talk, How to Tell the Kids. She joins us now live from Montreal to talk about her book and uh, how to have this very difficult conversation. Vicki Stark, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, Matt. I'm delighted to be here. Great to have you. This is uh, such a big deal. I've been a divorce mediator, and I've worked with couples for, I don't know, almost 15 years, and... I'm telling you, one of the hardest things I coach couples on is this decision and this discussion. What what are we supposed to say? Right. Well, you know, it is it's totally heartbreaking. And I'm a family therapist and I've over the years I've worked with many, many couples. I'm a marriage counselor and a divorce counselor, and every once in a while a couple comes in um for that one session, how do we tell the kids? Yeah. And you know, so often people say that it's hard enough to break up with my partner, but to know that from the moment that you tell the kids their lives will be irrevocably different from that moment on, and that you are the agent of making that change, um, is it's really it's really rough on parents. Oh, it is. Um, and, and so, and it's you know, and parents are in a different position. If they're the, you know, typically most marriages break up because one ha- one is more of the initiator, and the other one might be the unwilling party. Right. And so depending upon what your position is as either the lever or the levy, mm-hmm. um, you might want to put a different spin on how yeah. to tell the kids. Um, and how and how this whole thing went down and what dad did. Exactly. That, I mean, and that you're like, oh, no. Okay, first of all, what's our goal here? What's right, our right. goal here? Oh, yeah. it's hard, isn't it? It's you're... very hard. But there is a lot to – there's a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, and, you know, very often people just rush through the process. They want to hold their nose and get it over with as quickly as possible. Right. Um, and so I, my book is based on uh, interviews I did with 100 children whose parents were divorced, hmm. um, as well as adults who were children when their parents got divorced. So I really am hearing it from the horse's mouth. I'm really, I really heard what hurts kids and what helps kids. I, I love that approach, right? Because there's we, – we, I guess we could go to the psychology of what we think we should say to the kids, but maybe better to talk to 100 people that, that have been through it. Exactly. It, um, and one of the things that was most surprising when I did the research was to realize that for many children, learning that their parents are getting separated or divorced is actually a traumatic event. Mm. It's not just sort of loosely, oh, it's tra- traumatic, but it's actually traumatic. They have a sense of unreality. They have a sense of 
time standing still, their heart is pounding, the blood is running through their bodies, they're feeling, you know, they have the, all of these terrible feelings. But having learned that, you know, I, I, I did a lot of research on children and trauma and suggest to people in the book how to avoid the risk of trauma. Yeah, how, um, yeah, how to how minimize to it. it. Yeah, How uh-huh. to minimize it. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, what we say is that learning that your parents are getting divorced can cause you grief, but it doesn't have to cause you trauma. That's a great, that's a great uh, way to think of it. D- does it matter what age they are? When I was, my parents divorced, and when, they t- when my mom told me, I think I was probably like eight, and I'm, and, but they hadn't lived together for two years. And I remember sitting there and she sat me down and it seemed very serious. And she's like, okay, so your dad and I have decided to divorce. And I heard it. And then the next thing I said is, okay, so um, can I be Superman for Halloween? <laughs> like I want, all I wanted to do is get to my costume. Yeah, can I go play now? But, but I think for my sisters, it was a very traumatic event because they were, they had lived, they were older. They had lived through more of it. They had seen and heard more of it. Does it matter the age? Well, I think, you know, you're raising a very interesting point because really the age, it's not so much the age because I have some people who participated in the study who are 18 or 20 years old and who were deeply traumatized mm. when they heard about it. Yeah. And then other, and then I have a four-year-old who I, who I cite, you know, there's, there's little quotes from all of the different kids who was just fine. You know, she thought, yeah, it's about time. You right. You're fighting all the time. So it's not so much the age, but it's more the stage. Mm. Um, since your parents were separated for two years, this didn't come to you out of the blue. Yeah, right. Um, so, you you know, sometimes kids have a sense that they're fighting all the time. They're bickering. It's so tense in the household. You know, there's so much, you know, it's so awful. There's so much conflict. And then when they hear their parents are getting divorced, you know, for some kids in that situation, it might come as somewhat of a relief. Right. Um, and also for children who for whom it comes out of the blue. The parents did a very good job of keeping their problems private and separate from the kids. Um, and then when they hear, when the kids hear that the parents are getting divorced, it's a total shock. And they didn't see it coming, and so they had no preparation. And so they go from a happy family of four to a divorced family from one minute to the next, or mm. a separating family from one minute to the next. And so, you know, one of the things that I recommend for parents in that situation when they anticipate that children will not see it coming is prior to telling them that you're getting separated to have a, what I call a prep talk. And that means to sort of sit them down and say, we just wanted to let you guys know that mom and I have been having some problems and we're going to see a marriage counselor. You know, and even if they've already decided they're getting separated, at least tell the kids that a week or so before you then sit them down and say, we've decided to separate. So they have some preparation because nobody likes to be surprised. Oh, right. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, this idea for a child, too, I guess, dependent on their age, it means so many different things uh, because they don't know. They may have had a friend whose parents divorced and that meant they had to move. And exactly. all of a sudden they think, oh, we're going to have to move. And they start having all of these other fears that come into the play. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. But I like um, that little pre-prep talk because th- th- then they, they might think about, oh, I mean, I guess it just kind of eases them into the water. Right. And then they can sort of try it on. And if they have siblings, they can talk with each other. Hey, did you know that mom and dad were having problems? Yeah, well, I heard that other night when they had they were bickering. Oh, I didn't know about that. You know, it sort of it takes a little bit. I mean, it doesn't resolve things, but it takes a little bit of the edge off it. Yeah. For, for the kids. Um, do you do you suggest 
that we have these conversations together uh, with the father and the mother in the room. I always called it a united front that we, we kind of want them on the same page. Do you suggest that parents do it together? Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's also a great question because, uh, you know, a lot of the things on the Internet say sort of unequivocally that both parents should be together in the same room. And in a perfect world, that would be the best option. Um, but in reality, sometimes that's not a great idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I suggest um, different ways of telling kids, and, and I call that um, the uh, synchronicity. That's when you, when both parents can are are adult enough and their emotions are enough under control that they can sit down together and talk to the kids without it being a swiping session or without it deteriorating into, you know, anger or bitterness or sarcasm. Um, however, if they know that they can't do that, then I suggest to parents that they tell the children in tandem. Hmm. So one parent sits with the kids and and explains it to them, and then the other parent goes in and sits with the kids and explains it to them. Because the last thing we want is the telling of the kids to really deteriorate into a a nightmare. Oh, yeah. You know, with people yelling and raised voices and and crying. You know, I mean, obviously there could be some crying, but, you know, for it to be like really, really a miserable experience. So, you know, you can either tell them together, you can tell them in tandem, and in cases where there's a parent who's, for example, impaired, who has, who you know, the separation is coming because one parent has um, an addiction problem or an alcoholism problem or a mental health problem and is really not in condition to tell the kids at all, you know, he or yeah. she is too depressed or too screwed up, then I would recommend telling the kids solo. The right. stronger parent tell the kids um, and being respectful of the condition of the other parent. Oh, it really, that, that's, I think, I like how you're, how careful you are, Vicki, with that every situation is so different, right? And yet there, there's very real, there's kind of a very practical side to all of this. If Absolutely. You be and, practical. Yeah, and I, maybe the first step is really to, to do some cold, hard thinking about your particular situation. And, you know, I I try to guide parents to do that. First of all, what's your emotional state? Mm -hmm. You know, what's your agenda in telling the kids? Is it really strictly just to let the kids know, or are you trying to score some points? Yeah, get Um, get an advantage. Get an advantage. And then to really think about your kids. Like, you know, some people have one particular child who's very sensitive and who's going to you know, who's likely to have a really rough time, you know, to really think about your kids and how they're likely to respond. Do, do you suggest, I mean, ideally, I guess we do it with the whole family together, or do you do it one child at a time and just customize the message? Yeah, I mean, I, again, it really depends on the family. I'm thinking of a family that I know in which there's two teenage boys and they really hate each other. And the older boy is really bullying of the younger boy and laughs at him if he cries or makes fun of him. You know, so in a case like that where it's not safe for both of the children, you might want to tell them individually. Mm. You know, if the younger boy cried or then the older boy would sort of attack, you know, we don't need to have that taking place. No. Um, But ideally, you know, it doesn't matter what the age span is if you can tell all the kids together so that they can have had the experience together and so that they can support each other in a family where the kids get along well enough it's you know it's usually better to tell them to tell them all together and then if you want to flesh things out more with the teenagers the older th- kids that you don't want to really share with the with the 5 year old 
um, then you can do that afterwards. Mm. Love, the, love the advice. Uh, Vicki, let's take a break. We'll come Great. back and continue the discussion. We're speaking with Vicki Stark, who is a, uh, a family counselor and a divorce counselor, also the author of the book, um, The Divorce Talk, How to Tell the Kids. She's joining us from Montreal and teaching us kind of uh, the inside scoop on on how to talk about probably one of the biggest, you know, family decisions you can make, divorce. We'll take a break, continue the discussion in just a few minutes. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about how to talk to your kids about divorce. You know, it's it's a big deal, and uh, I see it every day in my work, uh, working with clients. And the discussion, it's pivotal because it does impact kids. In fact, it is... It's traumatic, and so we wanted to bring on an expert who could walk us through that. Vicki Stark is the author of uh, the book, The Divorce Talk, How to Tell the Kids, and uh, she's a counselor, a family counselor, and has been doing this for years, is giving us some of the basic steps for how to uh, share the message without breaking your kids' hearts. Uh, Vicki Stark, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Thanks. Thanks so much, Matt. You bet. And I guess if they go to your website, Vicky with two Ks, V-I-K-K-I, Stark.com, is that, is that the best way to get a hold of you, Vicky? Um, no. Actually, there's a website for the book, and it's a very simple uh, URL. It's called HowToTellTheKids.com. There you go. How to tell Easy the kids. To that How is a lot easier, isn't it? How to tell the kids. <laughs> you don't have to spell my name. That's right. Good. Good. So, Vicky... Um, you're you're saying it it is traumatic, but we can say we can we can have this talk in a way that that actually is less traumatizing. Yes, exactly. And you know what I'd like to do um, just very briefly. I want to read to you a little vignette that a seven year old girl whom I call Veronica um, said when when I interviewed her for this project. Right. Let's do um, it. And so it'll give you a real sense of what the trauma looks like, and then I'll explain to you how some of the ways that we can try to avoid the trauma. Perfect. Okay, so it's a, it's a quick vignette, and she writes, A series of losses loomed up in a huge, overwhelming way that I can only describe as completely, utterly huge. I remember feeling totally alone. I remember being on a high stool and observing my tears just plunking onto the ground in a most dramatic and oversized way. I'm not sure if my mother left the room, but if she didn't, I certainly received no warmth or support. No questions were asked for. I remember thinking, I'm losing everything. My bedroom, my dolls, my hallway, my house, my cousins, my school. I'm going to lose it all. Wow. So, I mean, this is a really powerful quote from yeah. Veronica, who was seven at the time when her parents separated. And it really um, sort of underscores that idea of trauma, you know, that she, yeah. I mean, it's also even dramatic. You know, she feels like she's on this high stool and the tears are plunking to the ground, these giant tears. And most of all, and this is where we get to the trauma part, is the feeling alone. Mm. 
Um, and so that what we understand about trauma is when emotional trauma occurs, when something happens and the person is feeling disconnected, alone, and not able to handle the enormity of whatever just occurred on their own. And I guess that's the that's the point. Um, the when a it's a seven year old, and a seven year old's world was her bed, her dolls, her, her room. Her, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah, she really, you know, articulates it That all. was beautiful. And, and but, but that feeling of disconnect? Yes. I mean, like, she, she sensed kind of the coldness of her mother. Yes, yes. And, and that's, you know, most, most of the people said, I asked them how long the, the divorce talk actually took when their parents told them. And for the majority of kids, it took five minutes or less. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, your dad's leaving us. And, you know, we're going to move to Toledo, Ohio or something. You know, I mean, it was yeah. just sort of like just a factual thing like this. So what we're looking for is how parents can really be have the courage to really connect with their child's sense of loss, sense of desolation and sadness. Mm. Um, and it's so painful for parents that they often they don't want to stay there. Yeah. So one of the things that we know, if a child is in an automobile accident or an adult is in an automobile accident and they experience a trauma... What do we do? We keep them warm. Right. Um, so we want to get the kid in a comfy place and have physical contact because physical contact is very calming. So be sitting next to them. Sitting next to them with your arm around them. You know, if it's a teen, they, maybe they don't want to be that close, but maybe your, arm, your hand on their arm, if they'll permit that. Um, obviously, if it's a young child, you know, they're sitting on your lap, both parents hopefully have making physical contact. But that physical contact is tremendous. And then, you know, to take it very, very slow, you know, to sort of say, you know, your dad and I have been having problems. Have you noticed that? And then wait a while and let the kids say, well, yeah, I saw you had that fight last Saturday. Yeah, what did that feel like? Um, and what, what, what did you think when you heard about the fight? So you take it inch by inch, mm. you know, and ease into the topic rather than sit down. We have to tell you we're getting separated. It, it's, um, have you ever heard of Dan Ariely? No, I haven't. He wrote uh, some wonderful books. Uh, I think one's called Predictably Ir- or Predictable Ir- Predictably Irrational. Okay, that sounds. But he's sounds... He, he's interesting because he talked about some research he did about the nurses. He he had a burn. He, he was a burn victim and um, had he's a he's a PhD professor at I believe Duke and used to be at MIT. And um, he basically found that the nurses would quickly rip off the bandages yes. and it would end up – it hurt. Yes. And he'd prefer that they would go slower. Yes. But they would just quickly rip off the bandages and he ended up after years of having this happen and as an adult professor, he researched it and found out which is better for the patient, slow bandage removal or quick bandage removal – and the slow bandage removal, he found out, was better for the patient, but worse for the nurse. That is like a perfect example. I can't believe you came up with yeah. that. That is a perfect example. I mean, and don't you? And that's why parents like quickly get in there and just try to rip this bandage off. Right. They've, and the parents have also been down the road for a year. Yes, of They've course. They've been working They've on this. So yeah. Yes. It's just, and now you try to get your kid up to speed. So I love this idea of sitting them down, getting them in close contact, making it warm, making it comfortable. And I mean, I would look at it not as a not as a conversation, but like this is a process, right? And it exactly. might the first phase might go an hour, 
Yes. But then we might want to just kind of keep circling back to them about this issue, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, what I, I talk about is having an attuned response. Yeah. And so you want to tune into the child's reaction. If the child says, whatever, can I go play? You know, then that's what the other child needs to do right then. If the child throws himself on the floor and screams, my life is over and I'm miserable, then you don't want to say, no, think of it this way. You're going to have two Christmas yeah. parties. And, <laughs> you know, you don't want to cheer them up and try to sugarcoat. You want to stay attuned and say, yeah, I can see you're really suffering. This really seems awful. And the more the child feels as though you're with him in his emotional state, the less alone he feels. Mm the less he feels as though you're pushing him to move on and get used to this. Um, and, and which, you know, a lot of parents, it's counterintuitive. They think that if they acknowledge the feeling, that the feeling will get stronger. But actually it works the other way. If you acknowledge the pain, the grief, the sadness, the sense of desolation, then at least the child feels like, yeah, this is rotten, but at least my mom or my dad understands yeah. me. And it dissipates. It's like you, you, we keep trying to contain it in Tupperware. Which yeah. is just going to keep it festering and yeah, alive, bubbling away. Yeah, just let yeah, it out. So let it dissipate. Response, I love sorry, that. that. But the attuned response is three parts. One is listening carefully. Mm-hmm. So that's that's another counterintuitive thing. Rather than talking, we have to listen. What is the child saying? Listen carefully. Acknowledge the feeling. Yeah, I know you feel like your life is over. Rather than say your life is not over, <laughs> you still have hockey or yeah, whatever. Right. You know, acknowledge the feeling and accept the feeling. Yeah, this is, it's really rough. I agree with you. This is really hard. And we, you know, we, without saying, but don't worry, you're going to feel better soon. Right. Just stay with the feeling first. This isn't a sales job, right? Exactly. We're, we're not trying to sell them on this idea. We're, yes. it's, it's just, it's their feelings. And then I love it because once, once this can go, once they, once they feel accepted, listened, and acknowledged, then they'll make space for, and you'll know because then they'll say, so what about this? Exactly. You'll see them turn the page. Mm-hmm. Once the, I, what I often say is that when somebody's going through something emotional, before they can become rational, they have to deal with the emotions. The emotions have to have some place to be released. And you'll recognize that, and particularly with teenagers, and this doesn't only have to do with the divorce talk, but you'll recognize that when you're talking about something and you know, they're, they're mad at you and they're telling you about it, and then they say oh, by the way, what are we having for dinner? Yeah. And you know that, okay, they've, you know, they've got it all out, you know, and they're ready to move on. And it doesn't mean tomorrow, midday, they're not going to have another event. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. This no, is you, cool. You, you got it. But it really is. This is how it, it works. And, Vicki, it's so counterintuitive because parents want to just kind of – and we, it, I see it especially with divorce because yeah. a lot of people can't divorce – with like a healthy spirit, they they almost have to hate each other. They think to get the energy to pu- pu- you know to push the button. Exactly. Yeah. And, and instead of just knowing that okay, we've done what we can. This is right. It's healthy. It's going to hurt people, but it's what's important and healthy to do right now. Yeah, um, and and I think you know that's sort of human nature. You know, ambivalence is very uncomfortable. 
it's it's awful to say, yeah, we're getting divorced, but maybe if we had tried this one other thing, or I regret that we didn't do that, or we should have gone to counseling earlier, or, you know, I should have been nicer about her parents, or whatever it is. You know, ambivalence is very uncomfortable. It's easier to say that person is an awful human being, and I don't want to be married to that person anymore. Right. Because then you don't have the discomfort of ambivalence. Right. Vicky, talk so, to us. T- talk to us about um, how much do we expose? How how much of the truth do we share? Yeah. So this was a big question. I asked the kids. Uh, you know, how what do you want most from from this talk? And one after the other, they all said, "Be honest. Be honest. Be honest." Um, and so that sounds fine until they got to the part where they said, "But not too honest." <laughs> Um, So they want honesty, but they don't really need to know what was happening in the bedroom, and they don't really need to know that one parent went away overnight for one, you know, for a, uh, and had a dalliance one time, and it's, you know, never saw that person again. You know, they really, they don't want to know, you know, that that part. They, and this is a very primary thing, is that our job as parents is to let the child have two parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless a parent is seriously impaired, is violent, or you know, is abusive, you know, we want to let the children have two parents, even if the marriage doesn't continue. And so that when a parent systematically denigrates the other parent, the child is caught in a loyalty bind, mm. and that's you know, that's cutting off one of their arms. They have two arms, a mom and a dad, and they need both in order to get through life. And, and they are both. Yes. Right. So that's what always kind of bugged me is anytime like my mom or somebody would say, oh, you sound like your father. I'd be like, well, yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with that? (laughs) He's awesome. And um, but it's that I am both of my parents. And if my if my parents can't somehow, you know, bridge their differences, how am I supposed to deal with me? Yeah, exactly. So, so then you get this sort of self-hating part that, oh, I don't want to look too much like my dad or my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really doing the children a disservice. And parents really have to sort of grow up, suck it up, mm-hmm. you know, try, work very hard to, you know, put a, you know, to be civil. I'm yeah. not asking for friends, but I'm asking for, you know, parents to have to, to work on themselves over time, you know, to be civil and to permit the child to have a relationship with their other parent and their other parent's relatives. Oh, that's huge, isn't it? And, and make sure that you, these kids get access to these other people. You know, I'll tell you the perfect circumstance that a client of mine had, and, you know, they were able to do it because they got along, but the kids were living 50-50 with the mom and the dad. And on the weeks where the kids were with the mom, the dad drove them to school every morning. Hmm. And on the weeks where the kids were with the dad, the mom drove them to school every morning. Oh, that's beautiful. So the kids saw both parents every single day. Yeah. And so they never had that sense, that blackout period that so many kids have. Oh, I'm with my dad now. Now I can't talk to my mom and I can't talk about my mom. Right. Oh, that's great. But again, that's so hard to find that healthy, that healthy balance, isn't it? Right. And, and, you know, I acknowledge that a lot of people couldn't tolerate having that much contact with their ex. And, you know, I... You know that's true, and that's realistic too. But yeah, there's some work to be done there. Yeah, and and it is for the kids. I mean, we're doing what we're doing this for the kids. Um, when you were when you as we kind of summarize this, yeah. Vicky, in all of your work and everything you've done, what would you say is the one thing that all parents, even grandparents, because grandparents can also play, I think, a healthy role in bridging these relationships, these breakups. Um, 
What's the one thing we should all remember when it comes to divorce and families and kids? Well, you know, you can, as adults, we can divorce our spouse, but our children can't divorce their parents, and we don't want them to. So that, you know, you said just a moment before, you said it's for the sake of the kids, but I think it's also for the sake of the parents. Mm -hmm. You know, how proud do you feel of yourself to be able to say, yeah, I'm divorced from my, my kids, you know, other parent, but we have a decent relationship. Yeah. You know, we're not those statistics. So that you, when you put your head on the pillow at night, you want to feel proud of yourself as an adult, as a parent, but also as an individual, you know, that you don't spend your whole life, you know, just trying to get revenge or trying to hurt the other person. And if you're in that mindset, you know, get some help in order to, to move on and, and try to use a trauma like divorce as an opportunity for growth. Mm, love it. No, I think, Vicki, you've, you've done a great work here. And as somebody that's in the field, you know, I totally respect the tool because people need help like the book, uh, your book offers. The book's Divorce, How to Tell the Kids. If you go to the website, howtotellthekids.com, you can get all the information you need there. Vicki Stark, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. You bet. Powerful, folks. I mean, it's, it's a part of life. And uh, even though you may not want to do it, it's, it's a part of life you have got to get right. Um, If you don't, you'll pay for it. Your children will pay for it. Powerful, powerful um, opportunity to to show integrity and, you know, create some healing and some health, some health in the relationships. We'll take a break. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, one thing uh, I was thinking about as Vicky was talking, uh, a little coach's moment for you. Y- you got you you got a choice, right, when it comes to your relationships. Um, and, and before you divorce anybody, you you got to make sure that you're healthy and independent, right? We we always think that the divorce is going to help me get healthy, but there's certain things. I would try to do before you you make the decision to divorce. Like I, I'd make sure while you're dealing with somebody, even if even if it's an obvious thing you need to divorce, like mental health would be one of the areas they found that statistically you will be better uh, without the person with severe mental health issues that they want to address. Um, divorce would be healthier for you. Um, abuse, you'll be healthier in that in the, in the, in a divorce uh consistent persistent infidelity you'll be healthier in those situations but the majority of times that people divorce um statistically they don't usually bode well for you sometimes it's a coin toss if if you actually are benefiting by divorcing so one of the reasons i think that is is because once we've been offended we we just feel the need to just divorce it's there we we've got the reason to do it the problem is it's not the reason you need. Um, if you want to feel healthy after your divorce, you don't need good reasoning for why you divorced. You need what I just call like moral authority. You need to be no longer the problem. You need to – even if you have to divorce them, you can't be reactive. You, you don't want to leave as a negative person that's just negatively interpreting your ex. 
You don't want to be name-calling. You don't want to be blaming. Otherwise, even if you divorce, you're divorcing with the problem. You're still infected. So while you're trying to make these big divorce decisions, spend some time trying to sort through what part of what part of your character you need to improve while you're going through the process. Make sense? Your healthier character will bring you more peace. That's the, that's the basic gist of it all. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your life coach, your guide on the side. It's Friday. Ha <sighs> ha. I feel so relaxed. It's Friday, the last hour, the last show of the day. I don't know if I've ever seen you so excited. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's because we've got a great show. Hello. And it's Friday, and I don't have any speeches, I don't think. Which means you have like two. I probably have two. I don't have, it's just, it's a day to get a lot of projects done. Last night, by the way, my son and I, we fix the toilet. I'm teaching my 18-year-old son how to fix things. I'm very handy. Just have him work at a hardware store. That's what I did. Well, no. He's leaving oh. on a mission, an LDS mission. He's he'll he'll be... probably need that That's on That's what I'm mission. saying. I'm like, you're going to need some of this. Especially if he gets like a 300-pound companion. Why? Ooh, they tend to break yeah. things. <laughs> they do? Yeah. There were several incidences that I heard of. when Just There right. were... Four chairs in my apartment that got broken and chairs, back, furniture. You, you don't know. That's so. Those that are listening, you these missionaries go out and they get paired up, and you don't get to pick your companion. The, the mission leader, president, just picks your companion. So you could get one that is kind of clumsy or really large, and he might break chairs. And and plus, you serve people, right? So I'm saying there might be a day where. One of the people you're teaching has a plumbing problem, and you got to go help them fix it. Or your companion breaks a toilet. At, or yeah, yeah, which is what he was getting. Because this, and this was son, trying to get away from the only thing this son knew how to fix in the toilet was use a plunger. But we went on the inside. Ooh, yeah, it was pretty cool. It only took us six hours to do a thirty-minute fix. That's usually what happens when I start messing around with yeah. anything in my house. But it, honestly, my man score went up about. Do you feel good though? Oh, totally good. Just stay away from your wife. Uh-huh. Well, I know she's like, well, "Well, let's start making a list." Yeah. Eh, I'm good. My wife goes two ways. Either she goes, she like gives you like the pat on the head thing, yeah, which totally ruins your manly vibe you oh, got yeah. going on. Yeah, there, there. Or uh, yeah, she makes a list. And you're like, whoa, 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 let's <laughs> slow down here. I'm not making any long term commitments to this. I am the captain of my soul. Yeah, back <laughs> off. Yeah. That's bad. I guess that's what I'll be doing this weekend. Um, that and, of course, shedding pounds with my new workout. Ooh. We've been talking a lot about diets and workouts. Uh, the diet, the uh, pizza slice diet, yes. pizza diet, eat a 12-inch pizza. We talked about the um, – There was a taco cleanse. A, ta- a taco cleanse. And there was a Chick-fil-A, a Chick-fil-A diet. Chick-fil-A, eat chicken nuggets, four to- eight pieces, eight-piece nuggets four times a day. Yep. But now 
We have a um, the air guitar workout. There you go. A self-proclaimed gym rat in Portland believes he has an exercise routine for those that like the air guitar. So uh, Charles Muir has been doing an air guitar for years, but only recently realized its physical benefits. Growing up, I was obsessed with Pete Townsend. No relation. Pete's had some other issues that Hmm. no relation, uh, but a really cool name of the who. And he used to imitate his windmill moves. Um, and I had this awakening last year. There are a lot of really great exercises that use movements that are also used in air guitar. So air guitar is where you have a fake guitar in your hands and you play it and you dance as if you're on stage playing the guitar. There you go. Which I walked in and caught Ben playing the air cello. Yeah. Not as popular. He's done that several it's, times. It's a rising trend. Yeah. yeah. is getting huge. Um Anyway, he says, the guitar gets you moving around. It can be intense. When I shred to Van Halen, I work my legs, my core, my posterior chain, even grip strength. Mm. Grip strength is very important. I do lawnmower pulls with my strums, Mm. wood choppers when I chip my air guitar across my body, ring, sumo squats, Jefferson deadlifts. This guy's serious. Off the couch, depth jumps, medicine ball slams. I smash my air guitar like Pete Townsend. Neck work when I'm head banging. Mm, it's a full body workout. There you go. Sounds like it. So I'm going to try it this weekend. Uh, I also will probably be in the hospital by Sunday. Broken in multiple different ways. I just mentioned a lot of things that I haven't exercised or any exercises like that. I've, I haven't done those, I don't think, ever. Right. I am the healthiest human ever known to man. Totally true. Speaking of that. I did, though, once work my posterior chain. Yes. Don't yes. recommend it. That, that is a real thing, and it's always awkward when mentioned. Is it? What is it? It's just the, your muscles down, down, like hamstring, legs. Oh, yeah. I've pulled every one of those. Glute, back, all that working together. Hmm. I really ought to work those. It helps. Helps with flexibility. Yeah. So you heard earlier this week that uh, Donald Trump was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Yes, I think it's fantastic. Let's get American in there. A list of 200-plus people (laughs) all around the world. They put a a, a bunch of people into a pool, and then they kind of weed it out and figure out who's going to be the the candidate and win the the prize. Um, Jimmy Kimmel, ABC, he is pushing a, uh, a, a candidacy, a campaign to get Donald Trump the peace prize Wait. i'm donald trump i love peace i'm the most peaceful. i'm donald trump i love peace i'm the most peaceful guy i know and i know a lot of people <laughs> my golf courses are probably the most peaceful places in the world my hotels you can hear a pin drop because the maids aren't allowed to talk when i'm president i'm going to make the world such a peaceful place you won't believe it you're going to be so happy with the peace, you're going to say, thank you. I love it. So do I deserve a prize for peace? I think so. I mean, who are you going to give it to? This guy? Let me show the Look what he drives. What is that? A Fiat? Believe me, you don't want your Nobel Peace Prize winner driving a loser car like oh, that. Man. It reflects badly <laughs> on peace. This Nobel season, it's time to honor the most peaceful man in the world and maybe history. There's no one more peaceful than me. Donald Trump, a man of peace. Paid for by me. I pay for everything myself. 
That's how rich I am. <laughs> there you go. Vote Donald Trump, Nobel Peace Prize. Donald Trump for the prize. What, you want the Pope to win it? Yeah. He shows the Pope getting in the Fiat, and he goes, look at that loser car. <laughs> you know what? I just learned you don't put down the Pope. <clears throat> it's usually not a good way to start your campaign. So if Donald doesn't win president, he could win the, the Peace Prize. That's great. Or he could win both. Why not? Yeah. Obama. He did it. Pulled it out. As he was opening a campaign of bombing in the Middle East. But that's fine. Details. <laughs> Details. Details. <laughs> What's the big deal? It's fine. Uh, anyway, that's great. So either way, Donald's a winner. And he pays for everything. That sounded like Donald. It did. You that could tell great. it was a little off, a little but it was off, really but, close. Yeah, totally. Hey, it, uh, it was funny because in the middle of it, they intertwined a bunch of uh, – there was an appearance he made on the WWE, uh-huh. you know, the pro wrestling, where Trump went and beat up uh, – what's it? Vince. Vince McMahon. McMahon. Yeah, he dove off and punched him and stuff. It was pretty funny. It no, was all a really man did. of peace. Oh, he really did he was get part in a fight? Of a, he was part of a WWE. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was just – I thought he, they were just no. yelling, but he really jumped and hit him. Probably like 15 years ago. What he happened was part. to his hair when he did that? Um, it flopped around. Okay. But then he went up on this on stage and shaved McMahon's head. He's the the chairman <laughs> yeah. of the guy yeah. in charge of World Wrestling Federation at the time. It's different now. But he shaved his head and he was beating on. He's doing all the pro wrestling oh, stuff. I gotta people look do. that up. It's pretty funny. He had to put that in his ads. Um, uh, coming up in a minute, we'll be talking with Rod Gustafson about. Um, Parent previews and some of the movies being released this weekend. Then we'll uh, do a little bit with our producers. We're going to do a little throwback to the old days. The new games versus the old games. Okay. Uh, but any headlines, Terry? Anything we need to worry about? There are Vermont's, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, running even in a new national poll tracking support for the Democratic presidential race. Clinton garnered 44% to Sanders 42 according to the Quinnipiac University poll released Friday. A sizable 11% say they're undecided. So you're 44 to 42 and 11% say they don't know. Wow. So it's still up for grabs, it looks like. The poll appears to be significant, a signal of a dramatic tightening of the Democratic race following Clinton's razor-thin victory over Sanders in Iowa. The previous poll released in December showed Clinton with a 31-point lead over Sanders. Oh, wow. So it's it's changed and they've... Here's Bernie Sanders from last night. Secretary Clinton has the support of far more governors, mayors, members of the House. She has the entire establishment or almost the entire establishment behind them. That's a fact. I don't deny it. But I am pretty proud that we have over a million people who have contributed to our campaign, averaging 27 bucks a piece. So, so the people or the power structure? What do you want? That's the choice for the Democrats. On the Republican side of the race, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio continue to hold the top three spots. Trump with 31%, Cruz 22 and Rubio 19 Now, this is a national poll, not right. for New Hampshire. Uh, the Koch brothers uh, dislike Donald Trump so much that they would possibly sit out the 2016 uh, race entirely if it came down to a general election between Trump and and Hillary Clinton. Well, they'd get to go bank a lot of money. $900 million, I believe, is what they said they were going to commit to this round. Now, that's not just for the presidential. That could be for senators and that's stuff, but it's still of, that's a ton a bill, of money. Just a billion dollars. A, sen- a senior official close to the Koch brothers told Vanity Fair that the Trump-Clinton race would repulse the brothers who previously have been considered large bankrollers of conservative presidential picks. Mm. They've yet to endorse a GOP, anyone in the primary, and they're kind of waiting for the national national race to see who makes it to uh, 
the nomination yeah. to see if they want to support them with any money. Man. So there could be a lot of money that never actually enters Well, a lot of people on the left would be very grateful. Yes, they would. For Trump losing the Koch brothers. The U.S. economy added uh, 151,000 jobs last month, the Labor Department said. The unemployment rate edged down to 4.9%. Today's report is being closely watched by investors who are trying to figure out the pace of interest rate hikes. The Federal Reserve amid recent global economic sluggishness and market volatility. So we added jo- or jobs are down mm-hmm. what they were expecting, but uh, so is unemployment. Yeah. So good. So jobs down from la- from December, unemployment up to almost five percent. The right. I mean, so it's below. So we did below five percent. Finally, for, so first time in a while. Eight years. And finally. A Washington State 34-year-old who was born Jeffrey Drew uh, Wilshick apparently legally changed his name to Bezo Dudu Azopity Bop 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 back in 2011. Really? Bezo Dudu Azopity Bop Bop Bop. Why? How, could you just spell that for me real quick? Bezo, Bezo as it sounds. Dudu as it sounds. <laughs> Zoppity, Z-O-P-P-I-T-T-Y, and then Bop Bop Bop. Uh, Mr. Bezo, do do boppity zop dop dop bop. Now this guy has a very odd name. Yeah. Um, but he keeps having run-ins with the law, so his <laughs> name keeps getting into the paper simply because of his name. Keeps getting into the news. But like the uh, Evergreen State College, he tore down a bunch of uh, flyers that are around campus. So university cops came over. He got into a fight with them, throwing like bricks and rocks, and they were hitting him and fists and nightsticks and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. And he got away from them. Then they arrested him again. So it was a, a melee. Oh my heavens! But because of his name, he stayed in. He's also had some uh, uh, weapons violation, drug possession, uh, probation violations in Wisconsin, drug charges in Iowa. But every time, it's because of Bezo Dudu Zippity Bop Bop Bop. He gets back in the news. What if he's running for election? Hi, I'm Bezo, doo-doo, zoppity, bop, bop, bop. I want to be your president. This is – does he just want attention? Yeah, absolutely. And he just got some because that's well, a funny name. Better there than on American Idol. Absolutely. I mean, you can get it a million different ways. Hey, interesting, interesting stuff. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we will be uh, talking to our movie critic, Rod Gustafson, from parentpreviews.com and previewing a few uh, movies that are coming out this weekend. Also be talking to the producers of the show, uh, doing the Meet the Producers segment, and then we'll get to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. I want to find out uh, their Super Bowl predictions. Stick with us, my friends. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's weekend. It's the weekend coming up, and we always like to then do a review of the movies that are coming out, the movies that will be in theater. And uh, and, and we're, we're right now we're, we're trying to get uh, our good uh, critic Rod Gustafson on the line from parentpreviews.com. And Parent Previews is a, it's a great website for parents. You know, sometimes you'll just send your kids, and you'll find out they're going to a movie, and a lot of times you don't know what to expect, what's going on. You you might want to just uh, in, before you just say, okay, yeah, go to the movies with your kids. You might want to go take a look at parentpreviews.com and and see their review because what they'll do is go through the specifics of the movie to see 
a if it's if it's something you're going to want your child to go see, but also they might go in a little deeper and help you create a better conversation with your children about the the movies that they're seeing. So joining us from Parent Previews is Rod Gustafson. Rod, hello, my friend. Welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. How you doing? It's been a while. It has. Yeah, that's right. It has been a while. I'm doing pretty good. Good. I've been uh, I've been watching a lot of movies um, because I've just figured out how to work my Apple TV. <laughs> Very good. So. Isn't that, that's, I I don't mean this as a plug specifically for that product, but it's one of about three or four little devices now that you can hook up to your television. And if you have a smart TV, you don't even need that. Oh yeah, little box. I know. Yeah, and it's like having a video store in your living room. It's really quite incredible. It's awesome. Now you're gonna you're gonna review for us a couple movies um, that are I guess they're being released this weekend. Is that right? Yes, as we speak right now, they are opening in theaters. Boom! First is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yes, yes. Really? Now you're running out. This is date night tonight yeah. for you for the Townsend family. That's right. right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Is that the movie we want to go see? Probably not, Matt. Isn't that a surprise? Darn it. I'll I'll admit my bias going into this. I've never been a big Jane Austen fan. Now, my wife comes from a family of five girls, and when I met her, they used to love sitting around reading Jane Austen books. And then when when I'm this old, Matt, when video cassette recorded, they had the big six-hour version of Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, wow. I'd rather mow the lawn with a pair of tweezers, thank you. (laughs) So, okay, so going into this, not a big fan of the genre, but I thought, well, I wonder what zombies will do to this. Maybe it'll make it more interesting. Well, I admit, it does give the Bennett sisters, and that's the name of the main family, the Bennetts in this movie, it does give these sisters something more to do than and sit around sipping tea and gossiping about the men who are coming over to see them. But it really isn't a good something. What it really does is it takes Pride and Prejudice and adds a lot of extreme, explicit, gory violence to it. And in fact, if there was any swearing in this movie and if there was uh, any more sex, and there really isn't much sexual content other than the low the low cup period dresses are the biggest sexual content. But if there was any more sex or profanity, this would almost certainly have an R rating. Really? But what saves it is that there is only the violence. And I've noticed that the MPAA, and they're the people that, that decide the ratings of movies, they seem to have a little uh, trade game going on where if you want a lot of violence in your movie and you don't put in any sex and profanity, you can still get a PG-13. Oh, wow. Yeah, a little bartering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's what happens with movies like this. So parents know that this is a gory film. Now, of course, they're killing zombies. Zombies. Yeah, and Matt, you know, I find that screenwriters will put what I call the disposable antagonist into their movie because it justifies huge levels of violence. So space aliens, Nazis, and zombies are three (laughs) of the most disposable disposable. victims. Yes, Yes. and then you can justify cutting their heads off on the screen and and dismembering their arms and seeing all this blood gushing all over the place because, oh, well, it's a zombie. That's what you need to do to zombies. I don't remember zombies being in the Pride and Prejudice book. I mean, I don't remember that. Well, you weren't reading huh. it very closely, were I need you? To, I, mean, I need to focus. You need to read it when you're awake, man. Yeah. Come Isn't on. That, it, yeah, but I never yeah. thought of that as, yeah, it's a disposable <laughs> thing. And then you can well, amp up the 
the the yeah. violence. And the other thing I should mention, this is this movie is written by a guy his name is Seth Graham Smith. He has figured out a money making machine. He also made Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. If you remember, that was out a couple of years ago. And of course, Pride and Prejudice is is what we would call it's a public domain work of of art, meaning there is no existing copyright on the original text. So it's open game. You do not have to pay to option it or anything else. You can do whatever you want to it. And so what an interesting way to make money. So he actually released this as a book a few years back, and now it's out as a movie. Yeah, boy, just wow. an amazing way to, uh, to fill your bank account. Interesting. So you'll give it an overall grade of what? C-. C minus. Yeah. 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 Well, and with a D grade on violence, that yeah. really is the big concern in that film. Well, good to know. Uh, I guess that might not be on the list. The other one was The Choice. Talk about that. Now, The Choice is a Nicholas Sparks movie. And, of course, Valentine's Day is around the corner. And then that means a Nicholas Sparks movie. <laughs> right. Theaters. Now, anybody who isn't familiar with Nicholas Sparks, he's a very well-known romance novelist. And uh, I find that Nicholas Sparks' books usually have some very common elements. Usually there's a, a man and a woman, of course, who meet, and they usually meet under uh, coincidental and not the most pleasant of circumstances. Usually they're arguing about something. And in this case, they're neighbors who are arguing because he's playing his music too loud. She is convinced that his dog has impregnated her dog. She's trying to study for a medical exam, and he keeps on bothering her. Well, we know that two minutes into this movie that somehow these two are going to meet, and there's going to be a tearjerker story that's going to go along with it. And there certainly is. Now, all things considered, this movie actually... Actually, for from a family, or maybe more so from an adult date night perspective, has a lot of good things going to it. There are there is a scene of premarital sex which we didn't appreciate. Unfortunately, it fades to black, but still a little more there than we really needed to know to understand what was going on. But they do get married, which doesn't always happen in the movies. They have a couple of kids, and then there's a tragedy, which is another aspect of Nicholas Sparks that usually takes place as well. Um, so, you know, it really follows along kind of the, what I call a paint-by-number movie. You know pretty much what's going to happen. But the one thing that I did appreciate about this movie is it does it does show of the importance of family. It shows the importance of, of grandparents. And a lot of those elements here are there. But artistically, it's as predictable as, as a 5 o'clock train and <laughs> really is longer than it needs to be. It's almost like they've run out of things to do. So you have a very long courtship phase, and then they get married about halfway through the movie, and then the tragedy strikes, and then you've got the, the resolution phase coming after Ugh. that. It just seems to be longer than it needs to be. Yeah. Take, take some tissues with you to this one. Okay. Even the men may shed a tear okay. you in, in the choice. Wow. And, and what, what grade did you give that one? So the choice is going to get a B- minus from us. And again, uh, partly what, what's taking it down is the premarital sexual content. And, uh, and then, you know, it's just not really an artistically strong movie. Man. Well, you know what? It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It seems like there's maybe it's just time to stay home and uh, <laughs> you know, use my Apple TV again. Yes, it <laughs> could be time to stay home. You know, just to mention, going back to Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, I was talking about the, 
the marketing on that. You know, Matt, January is horror movie month. Hmm. That's when we usually get all the scary movies that get dumped in the dark of winter. And then, of course, February is romance movie month, and Pride and Prejudice comes right on the cusp. Wow. So, when you think about it, yeah, you get the women in there for Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Men in there for the zombie The zombie fest. fest. I always find the marketing of movies quite interesting. How they uh, how they work those That's, all those different little elements. Well, it's you know what it's it, it's interesting. It is it's I don't know. It's hard to yeah. it's hard to create love with a zombie's head rolling around by your feet. It is. It um, is. By, oh, go ahead, Rod. You mentioned you, you mentioned home video. Bridge of Spies is out on home video okay. this week. That's that Tom Hanks movie, The True Story about the American oh, spy yeah. that was traded for Ooh. the Russian. Wonderful movie. Stay at home and watch that. That's the one. That's the one. Rod Gustafson, thank you so much from Parent Previews. Great stuff, folks. We'll take a break, come back, and be talking with our producers in the Meet the Producers segment. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we couldn't do it, this incredible show, without some incredible talent in the produ- in the producer uh, team. Two of them happen to be here today. We call them TNT, Tan and Thomas. Oh, Ooh, I like it. Leanna Tan. We have a different name every week. Caitlin Thomas. Yeah. We're meeting the producers. Uh, and Hello. you you've been tasked, you two to come in and enlighten me. Yeah, always. Well, you always do. Well, like when we have our meetings, you guys are always enlightening. Yeah. <laughs> Except Caitlin never shows up for the meetings. That's because you do meetings when I'm in class. I'm busy yeah. getting enlightened. You know, just so you know, Ben doesn't show up either. Yeah. Ben. Funny. And Ben needs to show up. <laughs> but that's a whole other story. So uh, what are we talking about today, ladies? Well, the other day we were excavating and we <clears throat> dusted <laughs> you- off some... This really great fossil, and uh-huh. then we realized it was your your birth certificate, and and we just realized like how fortunate That's we are rude. to have this piece of history like right in this room with us. Well, and, wh- where were you excavating <laughs> that you'd find my birth certificate? Yeah, it was in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> People had forgot long forgotten about That's it, but in the uh, middle of Provo. We yeah, just, is that weird? we just weird. found it. Yeah. It was weird, and uh, so we we thought we're just taking this chance for granted. So we. I started thinking. You mean that, that I'm had, still alive? You're taking yeah, that, that for granted? Yeah, we have this piece of history right yeah. here. It's <laughs> amazing. And so I, yeah. I looked up this article on um, Did you use Indian, the interweb? I, I used the interweb, okay, yes. Cool. Um, it's, it's on IndianCountryTodayMediaNetwork.com. Wow. And it's called 10 Ways to Respect Your Elders. Okay, um, and great. So that's kind of <laughs> We've learned great. a lot. Yeah. We have been it's enlightened. Great. So this is what um, you want to teach people is how to respect the, their seniors. Well, we're actually right. just going to implement it. So some ideas, you know, okay. some good ones were tell them you respect and appreciate them. So we really respect and appreciate you, Matt, because without you. you, this would just be we the show. We appreciate you. Really. Yeah, yeah. It would be the show. It so. wouldn't be the, yeah, the Matt. Um, and the other ones are visit with them and ask about their lives. You know so, what? Just let me tell you on that. I'd prefer if you didn't visit with me. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. Some That's seniors just want to be left alone. All oh. right. I'm just saying. Just throwing that well, out. Well, we're going to change your mind okay. because <laughs> instead of asking about your life, I think we're going to tell you about your life. You are? Um, yeah. We're going to – we wanted to relate to you on um, 
Deeper from our level. yeah, from our childhood and your childhood. So you're going to try to bridge my childhood to your childhood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know how that'll happen. And we grew up in the '90s. Our childhood was a lot of the '90s. <laughs> the 90s. And <laughs> oh my heavens. <laughs> '90s babies. Yeah. So we wanted to bring a little piece of that here with us today and play a game with you called Mash. Um, Mash. That, that's a game that we okay. played as kids. It stands mm-hmm. for Mansion, Apartment, Shack, House, and it's kind of a game where kids decided what their future was, where they yeah. were going to live, what they were going to. No, lots of immature children do this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is what I used to do when I told my mom I was paying attention in church and I wasn't. You were playing MASH. We were playing MASH. Okay, so how do we play MASH? Well, usually we have um, categories like what's your future spouse and stuff, but you've long passed that. So um, <laughs> we did some such as when will you retire, where okay. will you die, how many grad kids you will have, wow. what pet you will start collecting, okay. what physical ailment you will contract, wow. and how many people will attend your funeral. And you're actually yeah. predicting then my future. Yeah, exactly. We We've already it. done We've already this done all, all and we have the results. So are you ready for them? I am excited. Here's Matt's okay. future. Now, how do, you know, how do you know what number on the list well, remember pick? when we came into your office and we were, had a piece of paper and we just said, tell us when to stop, and you uh-huh. said, stop? We were drawing little circle rings, and then yeah. when you said stop, we stopped, and however many circle rings there were, that's the count. And then oh, we went through the mash, we went through the chart, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, cross. Oh, I thought three, you guys seven, were cross. just being weird. No. Uh, this no, isn't like a witchcraft this is so, serious business. So what did you learn about me? My future. All right. So don't worry. Um, okay. You will never retire. Ever. Uh, so You're going <clears> to <throat> die in this studio. Yeah. Great. <sighs> Great. You will die. Oh, this is sad. Uh, dumpster in Salt Lake. So they'll, they'll find me there or that's how I'll die. That's where they're going to find you. Oh, uh, my word. Yeah. It's not too far from where your fossil was. So okay. Oh, my word. This is scary. Yeah. Um, but you will have uh, 20 grandkids. So just prepare for that. Start preparing. That's great. Okay. Wow. These um, are all right so far. And you will start collecting rats. Rats. That's intense. Is there a reason? No, I don't know. It's, well, you won't be ca- collecting cats, birds, or hedgehogs. So. Okay. So rats. I, yeah. I'm allergic to cats. And you will uh, – hey, you're not going to get Alzheimer's or a hip replacement or bunions, but you will have dentures. So. Dentures. Uh, too late. <laughs> Are you serious? Okay, this is this is not – this is looking – Oh, this is my favorite. Is we have kinda... good news okay, to end what, it all. What, what? Okay, so um, the people – how many people will attend your funeral? You will have the Matt Townsend team there. We will be the only ones at your funeral. <laughs> <sighs> that doesn't – Hey, whoa. That doesn't sound very good. Well, we'll this is how well, when hold we were on. children, this is how we used to plan futures. This yeah. is what we used did to Did you guys on. plan your futures and did they say that someday you'd be on the greatest show on earth? No. Um, AKA the circus. <laughs> but I do remember specifically being married to Orlando Bloom. I don't think that's gonna happen. I'm gonna bet not. No. So what did you play as a kid? Like did you play with sticks and we played uh, and we stuff? played kick the can. Okay. Hey, we played that. And we played um, stick. Have you ever guys ever played stick? No. Uh, is that where you hold a stick? And yep. Okay. Whack cool. each other with a stick. And then you go home and you're like, look, Mom, I found a stick. <laughs> uh, and sometimes you'll play rock. No, okay. I played great games. Are you kidding? I played ball. I'm a baller. In all actuality, you grew up in the 70s, right? Uh-huh. You were a 70s yeah. kid? Okay, so what kid. kind of games did they have there? Or what kind of We played did you guys do? Uh, the corduroy cords. Have you ever done that? Have you ever worn a pair of corduroys? I have worn a pair. Not for many, many years, but... But we used to be able to make music with our pants. <laughs> what? <laughs> you just rub your legs back together and it... And then you created fire? And... Um, no, but <laughs> yeah. we, would play, we would play normal games. I played in television, which was the predecessor to your games, your video games now. Mm-hmm. Or Atari. 
Hello. Yeah. I played a lot of ping pong. I am the killer ping pong player. Mm. And then what we used to do back in the day that you guys probably can't relate to, we used to go be creative and play games like in our yard. And we would like We did that too. (laughs) And we would would play – Tennis. I got really good at hey, tennis. Hey, I play tennis. Nice. Let's go, Matt. I'll take you on any day. All right, let's do it. Not to brag. Uh, we used to exercise, stuff like that, just because you nowadays you guys just sit there and play mash and eat no, fruit this is, roll up. Oh, this, this is, is for 90s kids. This is 90s kids. Today's Whatever. kids do We also not used play to mash. prank call people. You did? Yeah. Do you remember Star 6 9 or oh, 6 yeah. 7? I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. Do you remember when those Tamagotchi pets came out, Matt? Did yeah. your kids ever? No, they did. Or did you ever? No, they did. We never had those because we used to have real pets. Back oh, in my day, we'd have right. a real pet. Yeah. Some would have animals and you'd have. But my Tamagotchi pet would always die and it was really kind of you know traumatizing for a and child. Now, and it's not real because all you'd have to do is put a new battery in and just reboot it. <laughs> but see, when, when, I, when my huh. pet died, we were burying it. Furred the bird, <gasps> buried <laughs> in the backyard. God. That's so sad. Right next to Hermit you. crabs buried in the backyard. Wow. Goldfish flushed. Why were they all dead, Matt? What's wrong with you? Maybe that's why you're going to collect rats because that's the only thing you can keep alive. Yeah, because they're, they're already living with you at the moment. You guys are rude. <laughs> you're rude. I, well, you know what? Thanks for being here. We got to go to- We're trying to respect you. That's well, what this whole well, point was. I appreciate oh, sorry. it. And uh, this is, you know what? Honestly, for your last time on the show, this is great. <laughs> so, okay. well, are we fired? Are you firing We're us? being promoted to host, so- We'll talk about that off air. This will be the Leanna Tan show next time. (laughs) Scary. Hey, we'll take a break. Thanks, ladies. Well done. Well done. Um, That was seriously. That was a great grand finale. (laughs) Peace out, yo. Uh, We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming on uh, on their show up at the top of the hour. And I want to hear their Super Bowl predictions. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Mmm. little uh, John Lennon for you. Hey, we're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. Holler. Happy Friday, Matt. Holla. Hey, uh, guess what? What's up? It's Friday and, tomorrow, and Sunday. Guess what's happening? Super Bowl. Nope, fondue. Game. We're having fondue. Super Bowl. <laughs> are you guys? Are you guys gonna watch Fondue the Super Bowl? It. Fondue it, dude. What, are we Honestly, gonna watch that, the Super Bowl? It's yeah. a, the American holiday, not named Fourth of July. Uh, Here, here's also, the, the Sabbath. Here's the, yeah, true. True. Oh, we're getting into that. Here's no. the thing. <laughs> that day has become more about family and friends and food for me. Yes. Seriously. Yes. Yeah. Is that it's what you're Thanksgiving saying? Thanksgiving on Sunday with the TV program. Right. It's, and it's not even about the sport, is it? It's about the camaraderie, the family, the That's food. That's one rationale, sure. Uh-huh. I think there should be a few holidays that we implement into the American schedule. One is opening day of baseball. Like, that should be a national holiday. There you Where go. Work there you off. Go. We'd still have to work, but whatever. And the Monday following the Super Bowl. <gasps> Love that idea. No, I totally agree. Just to recover. Yeah. Yeah. Just to have that Monday, I have to just chill. 
mm-hmm. recovery is not for the people that typically we associate with, but you know what I mean. Right. Right. Exactly. A different people that recovery. like to have a good time. <laughs> But like because you you what could are we talking about? It, it, like at halftime instead of watching Coldplay for example at halftime you could gather your family this is what I'm planning to do I'm going to gather my family around me and we're going to talk about family history Are that's, you serious That's one way of doing it You also have a DVR no. so you can do both Oh so are you really going to do that No like you because I, gonna, I love Coldplay I was going to applaud that Wow like you yeah. you're on another level No but if I if I were on that and other level that's what I would do <laughs> You're a liar and a cheater. <laughs> and a cheat. yeah. No, but Coldplay, what do you think? They're going to hit a home run, don't you think? Oh, well, you're, you're talking to two Coldplay fans and one particularly big Coldplay fan. Call it magic. No, okay, okay. tickets to go Call see him in Boston this summer. Oh, do you really? I do. I want to go. I do. I am, I am Who, who's paying going? a lot of money to go see Coldplay play live uh, at the home of the New England Patriots in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Holy cow. Oh, speaking of, in 12 minutes, tickets open. I, I think I'm going to buy two to the Rose Bowl in L.A. Oh, nice. They Maybe. Go, yeah. In you August. guys. Yeah. You got you a lot of money. You and, you and I? I'll, I'll go. I'll it's go. our summer vacation. Hey, let, let me go with you guys. It's our big summer vacation. Hey, fellas, can I, can I play? Coldplay in Boston. If you want to come along, dude. Come to I, L.A. I That'll promise, be cheaper. We'll go with Legion. Sitting next we'll go to us. Provo. Do you, do you want to try to guess what Coldplay songs are going to be played? Clocks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yellow. They'll do Sky Full of Stars. They'll do the one off this new album that's the single. Yes. Yes. Ugh! <laughs> I don't remember what it is. I need to look it up. Okay. But the but you're going to say Clocks, and, and then do you think they're going to integrate Rihanna in any way? They'll go Yellow. They'll go Classic. They'll, they'll, they'll do go. Yellow, and then the whole stadium will turn well, Yellow. Beyonce is going to be with them. Is it, or is it Beyonce too. or Rihanna? I thought it was Beyonce. Oh. Beyonce will be with so them. Rihanna's in a song they sing. Oh, it's but, a, it's. But a, they're gonna throw in Beyonce. Okay. Yeah. Adventure of a Lifetime. That's the name of the song. That's that is the, the new single. single yeah. Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah. This will be cool. Coldplay. Do, do you guys? Do you guys care who wins? Do, are you gonna? Do you want to put? You want to put anything down on a team? I don't or? have a personal. Inv- what, what, that's a different question. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, I'm to the point. The Super Bowl. I just want it to be a good game. Yeah. Is, no, I don't have a personal. Is this gonna be a good game? Would you predict? I mean, it seems like... Uh, I, I think if Carolina wins, it's not a good game. Yeah, they're going to blow them I think if Denver wins, it's a good game. Okay. Here's, what's, here's what's fun about this. Like, Carolina is the favorite, and Drew Brees, Saints quarterback, said something interesting the other day. He said, if they play this game eight out of ten times, Carolina probably wins. Or, sorry, ten times, Carolina probably wins eight out of ten. But he's like, that's what's great about the Super Bowl. It's one game. Right. Right. That's why the NBA is so unique in NHL. You play best of seven. The, like best, the, team, best, team the best team wins. wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think we need Peyton to win so that he can song. retire. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting because I don't think it changes his legacy in any way. Don't you? No matter what happens. I think that he'll be known as one of the greatest, but not the great greatest. Probably the best regular season quarterback in uh, NFL history. And an amazing player. Like, I don't think he can do anything that's like changes – the perception he has. Yeah. Like, yeah. like uh, Colin Co- Coward said, Marlon Brando, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. The old actor like from Nine Godfather. movies that were just terrible. They were just awful. Those didn't affect his legacy in any right, way. Right. And they were probably at the end of his career. But he had done so many iconic things that you're like, we know what you are. It's been decided. It's been decided already. Mm. That's the case with Peyton. Peyton, we know who you are. We know what he is. An amazing quarterback. That's, Probably the best quarterback with a bad arm in NFL history. Yeah. 
Because like his he's arm a, wasn't always he's a bad, technician. His arm yeah. Wasn't well, and his bad. his ability his to audible is his yeah, asset. and yeah. read the defense. Yeah. Sure. It's good. Uh, like like in BYU history, I didn't think that Max Hall had a great arm, but I thought that he got the ball where it needed to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like his throwing motion and everything. Well, wasn't that Detmer? Ty Detmer had a decent arm for Did his he? frame, but yeah. he was a surgeon. You're right. Yeah. Like he's not gonna. Yeah. And having a big arm doesn't necessarily matter. You know how I had a huge arm, Jay Keeps. Couldn't put it on the money though, so what does it matter? You know, yeah, true. it's all about getting the ball. True. The Philip Rivers, his throwing motion is wacky, but he gets it where it needs to go. Hey, um, not to change the subject on you guys, but but you will. but here we go. Um, I hear BYU won last night. That, that happened. They it was did. a big win. Yesterday you said season. biggest game of the year. Yes, yep. and guess yep. what? We told everybody that BYU would win. Yes. See, that's why you have the blue glasses. No, it has nothing to do with the blue goggles. I was actually using logic for once in my life. We use logic. Home, home. That is the seventh time that Spencer has in the yeah, history of the show. Yeah, it's amazing when I can use logic and still be right. <laughs> they show 641, so that tells yeah, you what's that is shows, 641 shows. We got yeah. logic today. Yesterday. Big win. Really that's big win. That's huge. Top 50 RPI win, which is something that the NCAA, tournament commi- or the NCAA committee looks at at the end of the season. That's great. So that's a nice win. Uh, BYU now in the conference championship hunt. Just one game back of Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Ooh. So it's it's good. BYU continues to play great at home. Seventeen game win streak. Man, so I, going. I'm, I'm assuming this will be all over the show today. Absolutely. Anything you'll else? Hear, you'll hear more from me, the Opti Realist, and you'll hear more from the old Codger to my left, Jerem Jordan. <laughs> the old Codger <laughs> and the young old. body. You can just say Codger, right? <laughs> it's assumed that the Codger's old. <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> yeah, because when you look at when you look at Jerem, you're like that old Codger. The Codger. Yeah. Todd Button with his with his, with his, to shut his mouth. with his yeah. new facelift. Leo <laughs> <laughs> Durkin, of those the center implants. from the men's volleyball team, will be here as well. Yes, it's game day for the third-ranked BYU men's it's volleyball fun weekend. Team. Yeah. This you can is watch great. Them and listen tonight on uh, BYU Radio BYU TV. Well, guys, the old Codger Jerem Jordan on the call. <laughs> I remember <laughs> when they built this place. Louis um, <laughs> when you need him. This is uh, this is going to be great. Have a great Super Bowl family Sunday. Thank you. Good luck with the family history at half. Thank you. That's going to knock him dead. I know it is. <laughs> Take care, gents. Knock him dead. Hey, we'll see you later. <laughs> see ya. Bye. Bye, guys. That's uh, I don't see Jerem as old. I see him as young. He actually is iconic here at BYU for those in listening land because he was a student that done progressed right into the big show. So, Ben, there's hope for you. This could one day be the Ben Watson show. Oh, no, 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 no. Ben, don't go there. But this could one day mean that you yourself could progress and be working for Sports Nation, BYU Sports Nation. For Sports Nation or yeah. like beyond Sports no, Nation? We'll, well, run the board. Oh. For BYU Sports So is Nation. this a step below so- Sports Nation? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, did you not get the memo? Um. Yeah. We're just we're not there's not it, a there's not above or below. It's just we're on a different planet. Yeah, the the memo was written in crayon, so I yeah. had a hard time reading it. I know. Don lost his pen. <laughs> Darn it. Hey, um listen to this. Did you hear that apparently uh a um Twitter erupted after a Saudi cleric says that chess is forbidden. Oh, come on! Uh, I know. A video clip of Saudi Arabia's top, Arabia's top cleric saying that the game of chess is forbidden in Islam because it wastes time and leads to rivalry and enmity, 
among people has provoked heated debate and widespread criticism among Arabic Twitter users. And they're mocking the cleric now. Others have defended the religious advice. So anyway, if uh, if you're playing chess, you know, you're on the naughty list. Sorry to say. Listen to this poor story about a French mayor who was forced to accept double salary against his own will. A French mayor has been left frustrated but better off after a new law meant he had to accept double his salary. They had to, he had to be willing to allow them to double his salary, even though it was against his will. After being elected in 2014, Socialist Mayor Stéphane uh, Delpeyrot, I'm sure I just massacred that, wanted to make a symbolic gesture to the 500 or so inhabitants in the village in southwestern France. The salaries of village mayors are more to cover costs than to act as a full-time salary. The mayors earn up to about $1,278 a month. But with France in debt, the economy struggling, the mayor decided to limit his monthly salary to just $400. But then he received a painful letter through the post alerting him to the fact that he faced a significant salary raise. Thanks to new rules surrounding how many uh, mayors in France, how much mayors in France can earn, he's now been told he can make uh, no less than $800. So a nice guy tries to give everybody a break. Bada boom, bada bing. He has to get a raise. See how you're blessed? You're blessed when you do good things. That's what I'm talking about. The government is... For the people, by the people. (laughs) Anyway, we always like to end with a hero story. So here we go. Hero of the day will be the bystanders that formed a human chain to rescue a man from a teetering truck. Listen to this story out of Bedford, Pennsylvania. On January 27th, motorists on the Pennsylvania Turnpike banded together and formed a human chain to rescue a truck driver whose semi was about to go over an embankment. Arlen Satinek, a trucker uh, who witnessed the incident, said the truck in front of him was clearly having difficulty on the snow-covered road, and it soon began smoking and shooting off debris. At that point, I was on my brakes with everything I had, hoping I didn't lose control. Satnik said. He said, I saw the truck out in front of me pretty much finishing his wipeout and cutting the entire two lanes of traffic, angling down over a cliff. Satnik said the driver appeared to be trapped in the cab of the vehicle as it teetered on the edge. I'm sitting there in a daze and I realize that people are running to the truck. Satnik uh, said that the motorists didn't appear to be concerned for their own safety. It was just like everybody knew in that moment we have to reach out to help him. Let's lock into this and this and get this guy up. It was awesome, Satnik said. He said, I decided I knew they had him and I wanted to get a picture. I want to remember this. Anyway, this, the group of people ended up pulling him to safety. And uh, it looked spontaneous and like an instinctive thing, Satnik said. Everyone just hooked their arms together. It was absolutely amazing. So to the people of Pennsylvania, the bystanders that form a human chain and save a man's life... You are the heroes of the day and the hero on Friday, so we can all think about that one all weekend. Folks, again, we can't do the show without you. There is good in the world. Don't forget it. Sometimes you get hung down with all this other stuff that uh, that's not so good. But remember, there are people that will watch out for you, and uh, there's, there's good. There's good. So be looking for it. Until Monday, folks, take care of each other. Watch each other's back. 
and uh, make it a great weekend. Have a fun Super Bowl. We'll talk again Monday.